Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. On the other hand, if Donald Trump uses the powers of the United States government to cover up his own criminality or to cover up the way in which he cooperated with Moscow in order to win the presidency, uh, that may or may not qualify as an ordinary federal crime, but it's certainly an impeachable. Or if he decides, you know, I'm simply not going to protect the United States from foreign attack. I'm busy making money. I'd rather be a kleptocrat than carry out my oath. That's not a crime, but it's certainly a basis for removing a president. And if the evidence that Rupp Mueller is collecting forms a kind of compelling case that a overwhelming bipartisan majority of the American people find convincing that this guy is just too dangerous to keep in power, then we do have the emergency power of impeachment available. But it will be available only if we don't use it and, and kind of ring the bell every time uh, something looks amiss. You can't be the boy who cried wolf and expect to have a viable impeachment power. You can't use it over and over again against the same president. Right. If you're going to shoot him, you've got to shoot to kill. And that requires an overwhelming majority of a bipartisan kind. Otherwise, uh, you're just going to nick the guy and make him feel empowered and vindicated. Right. You look at the two examples we have in history, Clinton and, of course, President Johnson. Johnson got by, I think, by, what, one vote? People who have a very particular point of view, an ideology or a commercial uh, perspective to try to sell, um, have dominated uh, the TV market. It's not just Fox, it's now Sinclair, where they are essentially delivering propaganda. Uh, so we need more people to speak up and speak out, and we need more outlets. We need more sources of reliable information. Right now, we are living through a crisis in our democracy. There certainly are not tanks in the street, but what's happening today goes to the heart of who we are as a nation. And I say this not as a Democrat lost an election, but as an American afraid. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 29th of May, year of our Lord, 2018. And that intro was Lawrence Tribe, a liberal favorite right now, and Hillary Clinton, which leads us into this podcast, like every podcast. Doesn't matter what the law says, doesn't matter what anything says. The left is all about just them. They just want their power. Tribe apologized, an otherwise good interview. I made a terrible word choice saying an impeachment bullet can only be shot once, so one must shoot to kill. I wasn't speaking literally, but as one who works hard to reduce gun violence, this was just inexcusable. I'm very sorry. Everybody said, it's okay. You didn't go far enough. And it it was okay. Nobody cared. They, it just doesn't matter. Uh, Al Green, Democrat, we will impeach Trump and we retake the House. Nobody asked, hey, what if he didn't break any laws? There wasn't, the law wasn't part of this. It was just, we're going to impeach him. But this is what we've had since 2016. David Plouffe, one of Obama's people, 
the last administration. It's not, it is not enough to simply beat Trump. He must be destroyed thoroughly. His kind must not rise again. That, that's an actual tweet. Uh, that's what they believe. And sees, uh, morning chorus says, interesting that this is thinking should have been a thing among the last administration's officials at all levels in June 2016. Which leads us to the theme of today's podcast. K. Willie 1046. A Democrat Watergate is unfolding before our eyes. John Brennan is tweeting like a madman attacking Trump. Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. Brennan is starting to look like he may have been a co-conspirator in the biggest political scandal since Watergate. And it's Obamagate. And that's what we're living right now. That's why the hubris and the rancor. During it, the the House passed overwhelmingly a prison reform act. That basically was the Koch brothers, everybody. It was bipartisan. We'll see, Van Jones was part of it. And during the same period, Trump released Jack Johnson. The left was all over it. They couldn't handle it. Joy Reid had a weak defense of Obama's failure. President Obama deeply believed in America's institution as the nation's chief executive. Love it or get frustrated by it. He wasn't faking that. He was the climate, the diametric opposite of what we have now, which is a president who's crashing through norms like a china shop bull. Momo said, Obama didn't even have a concept of separation of powers or checks and balances. By all means, let's have this discussion, but it's hard to take you seriously when you won't be honest about how we got here. Obama pardoned Bradley Manning, who committed treason against the U.S. Obama weaponized the IRS and Tea Party groups, against Tea Party groups. He weaponized the DOJ. He weaponized the FBI. But you do joy. And he did not pardon this guy. He didn't. It is so bad that ABC, as we go to fire for effect, is whining about Trump bringing people home. He's brought more prisoners home people from detainees, whatever you want to call them from other countries that were holding our people, than any president in his first year. And they're upset about it. So today's podcast will be about the ever-brewing Democratic Watergate, the shooting as usual. There's a little bit in there. And on the back end, for those, I got some good feedback from my bro, Matt in Oregon. Um, Literally, been binge watching the shit out of stuff. So today we'll have a bunch of reviews. Uh, Wild Country, Narcos. Oh my God, it's better than The Sopranos. And uh, we'll do that on the back end, uh, like we did last podcast. So let's listen to ABC be upset because American citizens got released by a president that they fucking hate. And let's go into fire for effect. So many political issues to talk about on this Sunday morning. So let's bring in ABC's Martha Raddatz, who's in Washington, where she's going to be hosting this week later this morning. Martha, good morning to you. So this is the second time in a few weeks we've seen Donald Trump next to Americans who've just been released from captivity overseas. Before this, it was the Americans who were freed from North Korea. How much of a boost do these stories give the, to the president? Well, I think you just saw there in Tara's report, extraordinary. They're very thankful to the president. They say it again and again. Donald Trump 
trumpets all of these releases. It's very unusual, of course, for someone to be released and go straight to the White House for a photo opportunity. So I would say it's pretty obvious it does give him a boost. I'm not sure many Americans knew about Joshua Holt and that he was held in Venezuela, but we're all always happy when American prisoners are released. All of us are. are stepping back into the spotlight, entering into a multi-year agreement to produce films and series with the streaming giant Netflix. In a press release, the former president says both he and Mrs. Obama hope to cultivate and curate the talented, inspiring, creative voices who are able to promote greater empathy and understanding between peoples. Netflix not releasing any financial details on the deal. But they got paid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a small deal. It's a small deal. Breaking new ground. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing what they come up with. And we need that kind of programming. Absolutely. We really do. So I can't wait to see what happens, what form this takes. But a lot of people are very excited about it. They're talking it could be worth more than $100 million, right, this deal? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. It's, I would think it's worth a pretty penny. Yeah. The two of them are very talented. It'll be interesting to see what happens. That, of course, is the media talking about Netflix, and this is something that I totally screwed up on the last podcast. Um, I said I was going to talk about it, the Obama-Netflix crap, but I forgot to. So I figured I'd start this one out. Um, the, by now you know enough, but they wanna, we hope to cultivate and curate the talent inspiring creative voices are able to promote greater empathy and understanding between people and help them share their stories with the entire world. Also, commenting on the new deal with Netflix chief content officer Ted Sarandanos, who has asserted the Obamas are uniquely positioned to discover and highlight stories of people who make a difference in their communities and strive to change the world. Obama's projects are not intended to address Trump, or conservatives. Instead, it would focus on inspirational content. There is a movement right now um, that is saying a lot of people are going to leave Netflix because of this. They, uh, of course, did the Barry show, trying to make them inspirational. But the interesting thing about this, uh, A, Obama is the only member of the administration to be connected to Netflix. They got Susan Rice. And if that wasn't enough, Saran Darnos and his wife, former U.S. Ambassador to the Bahamas, Nicole Advent, were identified as a power couple for Obama. And they bundled $500,000 for him during the election. A lot of people did jokes like, I'm surprised they didn't sign with RedTube with all the wretched stuff, which I think is pretty funny. But remember, growing inequality isn't just morally wrong, it's bad economics. That is a quote and a tweet from President Barack Hussein Obama. They signed for millions. So I, I want to know, what does is that just for you and me? 
Is it just for the Koch brothers? It's just for conservatives. I got it. So conservatives can't make money, but he can't. So I want to make sure you understand that, all you people out there, like the Page and Oregons, who thinks he, you know, they think Obama is a god, a deity, hopey, changey, and a higher being that looks out for the little guy. Well, the little guy must be his penis, because right now that guy is rich as fuck. And he just signed a deal worth millions of dollars with Netflix. So I guess inequality is not a problem when it's his bank account. But leave it to Twitter to take it for the fun shit. There was a hashtag Obama Netflix shows uh, tweet thread that came up, or hashtag, or whatever the fuck. Uh, I think it's pretty funny, so I grabbed a couple. Holders, Heroes, Fast and Furious, which, of course, you knew that one was coming. Federal Federalist Musket tweeted, Sign Fooled, Better Call Saul Alinsky. <laughs> you didn't build that. Saving Private Servers. Breaking Bad Press, Game of Pen and Phones, that was a good one. Mm. So you think you could keep your doctor? You got mail, and I'm reading it. <laughs> IRS Criminal Minds, Obama Netflix shows about a president using the NSA and FBI to monitor journos and opposing candidates. It will be lit as fuck. That is what Manderscat said, which I thought was pretty funny. And comfortly, comfortably smug. Congratulations, Netflix, on your upcoming Nobel Peace Prize, because they'll probably get it. The Root, of course, they handled it differently. Barack and Michelle Obama have signed a multi-year production deal with Netflix, hopefully ending our withdrawal symptoms. If you have missed getting your fill of common sense and decency since the first couple that matters left the White House in 2017. Your waiting may soon be over on Monday, blah, 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 giant. The New York Times deal essentially gives the Obamas an international platform allowing a couple to reach millions of people across the globe post-presidency. As such, the couple has launched Higher Ground Productions, which will produce content for Netflix. Speaking of Higher Ground, ever classy, the former president has already made it clear that he will not be using a platform as a public campaign tool against the Orange Fool in the White House, or to fight against conservative media outlets. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. There, there's your Netflix. It's hypocrisy on the higher order. Let's go to the DNC Watergate. And while he was speaking in the Oval Office today, President Trump also took new aim at the Russia probe and raised new questions about whether he is inserting himself into the investigation. We get more from NBC News White House correspondent Kristen Welker. Tonight, President Trump is escalating his assault on the investigators who are investigating him, prompting a critical question. Is the president threatening the long-standing independence of the Justice Department amid revelations an FBI informant had contact with his campaign during the 2016 election? If they had spies in my campaign, that would be a disgrace to this country. That would be one of the biggest insults that anyone's ever seen, and it would be very illegal. The fiery words come after President Trump demanded his deputy attorney general, Rod Rosenstein, find out whether that FBI informant was used for political purposes. Mr. Trump even refusing to say whether he has confidence in Rosenstein. Do you have confidence in Rod Rosenstein? Uh, what's your next question, please? And it's not just the president. His allies on Capitol Hill are also trying to discredit the investigation with a group of Republicans calling for a second special counsel to investigate the Justice Department and FBI. It is time for transparency, and it's time to allow the American people 
to know the truth. Former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper insisting there was no wrongdoing by the FBI. Was the FBI spying on Trump's campaign? Uh, uh, no, he, they were not. They were spying on a, a term I don't particularly like, but on what the Russians were doing. Tonight, law enforcement experts warn. If this continues, there'll be, a, there'll be more than a standoff. There'll be, there'll be a constitutional crisis. I believe that's exactly what the president may want. Kristen Welker, NBC News, the White House. So what is the effect of now having a discussion in public about an FBI informant when last Wednesday uh, the head of the FBI, Christopher Wray, a Trump appointee, testified that when we reach the day that we can no longer protect confidential informants and their families, America is less safe. It seems like in less than a week's time we have reached that day. America is less safe. It's a bone-chilling development. Look. The uh, Justice Department is under a shelling from the, the White House. It's like London 1941 there. And some bombs are hit big, some bombs hit small. This one, to my mind, is the biggest bomb of all. A confidential informant is the coin of the realm for the FBI. It was astonishing to me, to, with all respect to Phil, to be reading in the newspaper biographical details about someone who has been there for years, and you can only guess what sort of job the Bureau now has and the CIA around the world trying to persuade people to help the United States ferret out uh, dangers to them. This, I think, is the most dangerous development on, in the ongoing war between the White House and the Department of Justice we have had so far. If it's Tuesday, the constitutional crisis alarm bells are ringing. But is anybody listening? Tonight, fatal distraction. Are the president's systemic attacks on the Justice Department undermining the rule of law as we know it? We begin tonight with a politically motivated investigation which is out to prove that Bob Mueller's investigation is politically motivated. So wrap your head around that for a moment. Folks, right now the president and his allies in Congress continue their campaign uh, to distract from the Russia investigation and, they hope, discredit it. Folks, if this was happening in another country, what would we say? If a country's ruling party was being investigated for potential election corruption and it responded by attacking that investigation, launched its own counter-investigation into the justice system itself, called for the imprisonment of those in the minority party, and pressured leaders in law enforcement to lock them up. If that were happening in most any other country, we'd probably call it a constitutional crisis for said country. What do we call it here, other than Tuesday? Spin, spin, spin. We got a lot of spin. Scott Adams starts, our, starts us off. Four things to understand about Spygate. There was no spy in the Trump campaign. The spying that did not happen was totally justified. It wouldn't be bad for national security to identify a spy who doesn't exist. His name is Stefan. That's your media right there. Molly sums up what you just heard. This coordinated talking point appearing in every liberal media outlet literally couldn't be stupider. Patrick Kelly M.Z. Hemingway, do you think the media are working overtime to try to discredit Trump because there pos possibly evidence arises that the media was part of the conspiracy? They were uncritically leaked receptacles and a story that is blowing up in their face is truly epic fashion. Their hostility to transparency and accountability and journalism is just self-preservation and ego. Obviously, all of the above. Breaking. Email show FBI brass discuss dossier briefing details. 
with who? Facts first, baby. CNN. Newly revealed emails show that former Bureau FBI Deputy Director McCabe was keenly aware of CNN's internal understanding of the secret briefing about the infamous Steele dossier days before CNN published any stories on the matter. The emails, which were obtained by John, Representative John Ron Johnson, also revealed that top officials used coded language to refer to the salacious and unverified allegation made by Steele. Former FBI Director James Kobe briefed then Donald Trump on at least one unproven allegation contained in Steele dossier, which was jointly funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. CNN broke the story about the dossier on January 10th, touching up a firestorm hysteria that culminated not just the firing Comey by Trump, but its eventual appointment of Department of Justice Special Counsel Comey claimed that he was compelled to brief Trump on the dossier because CNN had it and was looking for a news hook. Hours before Comey briefed Trump, FBI Chief of Staff James Rybeck emailed staff that Comey is coming into HQ briefly now for an update from the Sensitive Matter team. Just as the same officials dubbed the Clinton email investigation the mid-year exam and the anti-Trump counterintelligence investigation crossfire hurricane. Those were the code words they were using. They also used various phrasing using sensitive to refer to obliquely to the dossier. Two days after the briefing on January 8th, McCabe, who earlier this year was fired and then referred for criminal prosecution by the DOJ, Inspector General, repeating the lie about media leaks, wrote an email to top FBI officials. Flood is coming. CNN is close to going forward with a sensitive story, McCabe wrote to everybody. The trigger for them is they know the material was discussed in the brief and presented in an attachment. He did not detail how he came to know that CNN Trigger was for publishing the dossier. Although the January 10th story from CNN also claimed that Trump was pre- presented with a two-page summary of the dossier, which was not part of the official intelligence community assessment given to Trump, Comey himself later claimed that he did not give the two-page document to them. And this article goes on to just sum up that CNN was part of it. They worked with the DOJ. It wasn't for news. It was to get Trump. They wanted to be part of the tearing down of Trump. Which brings us to this article. FBI scandal bigger than Watergate? Could be. And the dishonest press should cover it that way too. And an FBI or any deep state informant was embedded within his campaign for the express purpose of spying on it. That would be a scandal. Bigger than Watergate. Bigger and more chilling. Over the course of the last two years, I've communicated with current former government employees who told me that a number of operatives at various three-letter agencies have been actively working to undermine Trump and then his presidency. Most of them are Obama appointees, all of them doing so for political reasons. To be clear, if there was evidence indicating that political or career appointees from the administration of President Bush were actively and unethically working to damage the campaign of Senator Obama or the administration of Obama, I would want them exposed and prosecuted the fullest extent of the law. There's nothing more dangerous to the welfare of our republic than operatives from our three-letter agencies taking sides for ideological or personal reasons and then using the vast resources at their disposal to damage and delegitimize those they oppose. Nothing. That is the very definition of a police state. Because the president dared to compare the scandal with Watergate, many in the liberal media proceed to attack, mock, or belittle the tweet with a vengeance. That's because for them, Watergate is a political holy grail which can never be equaled. Except Trump is right. 
If so, as he stressed in his tweet, if someone associated with the FBI or another government agency spied on his campaign or political and partisan reason, they would indeed be bigger than Watergate. That said, the wrongful measures taken by a paranoid but truly gifted in so many ways president is the attempted cover-up of a bungled break-in by some partisan clown sales pales in comparison to the political and professional operatives from the deep state trying to sabotage a presidential campaign and smear a sitting president. Instead of fashioning themselves as Watergate-like heroes while actively aiding, abetting, and promoting knowingly false Russian collusion stories, the liberal media should attempt to ethically do their job for a change and investigate whether the deep state is trying to take down a constitutionally elected president. Then maybe they'd have a new and well-deserved journalistic holy grail to celebrate. Then he's spot the fuck on. Other article. Wait, the FBI spy reportedly tried to infiltrate the Trump administration after the election has been revealed. You already won. Another FBI operator got in. There's a female and the Stefan guy. So Kim is Kimberly Strassel, no conservative, breaks it down in a great tweet storm. So a few important points on the new NY New York Times hurricane crossfire piece. A story that, by the way, all of us following this knew had to be coming. This is a DOJ FBI leaker's attempt to get in front of the facts Nunes is forcing out to make it not sound so bad. Don't buy it. It's bad. Biggest takeaway, government sources admit that indeed the Obama DOJ and FBI spied on Trump campaign. Spied. Though New York Times calmly calls spy an informant. New York Times slips in confirmation far down the story and makes it out like it isn't a big deal. It's a very big deal. Biggest takeaway, government sources admit that indeed Obama DOJ and FBI spied on the Trump campaign. Spied. After he was elected. Sorry, I lost the page. And self-serving desire to get a sympathetic story about his action, DOJ FBI leakers are willfully to provide yet more details about the top secret source, namely the spying, was aimed at Paige Papalopagos, making it more likely certain source will be outed. That's on them. DOJ and FBI and its leakers have shredded what little credibility they have in claiming they cannot comply with the subpoena. They're willing to provide details of friendly media, but not Congress? Willing to risk very source that claim to need to protect? Back in December, New York Times assured us it was Papalopagus downer convo that inspired FBI to launch official counterintelligence operation in July 31st, 2016, which was convenient since it diminished the role of the dossier. However, now New York Times tells us FBI didn't debrief downer until August 2nd. And Nunes says no official intelligence from allies was delivered to the FBI about the convo prior to July 31st. So how did the FBI get downer's details? And what really did inspire the investigation. As for whether to believe the line the FBI operated soberly, carefully, judiciously in 2016, a main source for this judgment is um, uh, Sally Yates, who was in the middle of all of it, a bit like asking Putin to reassure that Russia didn't meddle in our election. On that, if you're wondering who narrated the story, note paragraphs that assure everybody that hardly anybody in DOJ knew about the probe. Oh, and Comey also was given few details. Nobody knew nothing, because when you require a whole story saying you behave, it means you know you didn't. The New York Times and Washington Post has extensively extensive stories on this, though there was some linguistic gymnastic concerning the word spy and informant, spy versus informant, to be more accurate. Now Axios reported tonight that this informant 
who is rumored to be longtime CIA operative Stefan Halper, tried to infiltrate the Trump administration after the election. The president's trade advisor, Pete Navarro, is said to have recommended him for a job. Kimberly Strassel tweeted then, FBI didn't tell a FISA court who paid for it. Obama political unmasked transi- transition members. Steele was blabbing to the press, etc. at nauseum. In each instance, reporters of said news were deriding, dismissing as fan- fantastists, yet each of them knew it was a fact. And that's the part that just nails me. The media has been mocking Trump for saying he was spied on wiretapped, etc. They knew it was true. That's how far they've gone to the left. They knew all this. CNN did. If you watch CNN, you are nothing but a liberal shill. Nothing on there compares to even what Fox has ever done. Sean Hannity outright says he works with Trump. That's a big difference in saying we are the facts first, apple, banana, jackoffs. And we lie to you while we know everything. Cheryl Atkinson. There are at least two possible scenarios. One in 2016, before anybody thought Trump would win, the FBI correctly anticipated the Trump campaign would be uniquely targeted by Russia and devoted extraordinary efforts to investigate, including placing at least one spy and former close to Trump campaign and wiretapping or surveilling at least seven Trump associates, all while Obama denied such election interference was possible. And yet in the end... The FBI was still incompetent at preventing the Russian interference they'd investigated all year and then found no grounds to open an investigation of real Donald Trump until after he fired FBI Comey. Or number two, the government spied on Trump for political purposes. I'm just telling you, it was political. It has nothing to do with not and nothing. I don't care how far you take it. I don't care what party you're part of as a conservative independent. This was Watergate. This was political purposes. The internal polls were telling them we're in trouble. They went after him to try to find something before the election. And Obama hedged on it and waited because he fucking knew this was illegal. But all along, as he's sitting on the TV saying, well, I didn't do anything, and the media's dogging him because he didn't do anything, it sure the fuck looks like they did something. They spied on a campaign. Now we're 18 months down the road. There is no Russia collusion. They're going after financial shit, trying to find them breaking a law somewhere because they got to cover their ass. Jesus, J. Christ. So how's the left really handling it? You heard the media. Here's John Favreau. He attacks Mario Bartomolo, Bartomolo, because she reported it to add her to a long list of Trump fanatics who no longer deserve the title of journalist. She says, try reading and paying attention. This is not about Trump. This is about the rule of law and abuse of power at the top of the FBI. It's pretty clear what took place. Your ideologies are blindfolding you. He then comes back without any evidence whatsoever. You went on the air and leveled criminal accusations of the former president, Secretary of State, FBI director, you have absolutely no idea what took place because you don't do reporting anymore. You parrot conspiracies on state TV. Kimberly Strassel, who's deep in this now, attacks him. 
says a biased observer who only critiques the questioning press. And if there remains lack of details, it is because those involved spend every minute working to hide the facts. If nobody did anything wrong, embrace transparency. Otherwise, the public can assume, one, the fallacy here stated by Sally Yates is that the investigators are beyond reproach. The founders rightly believe the public should would be skeptical of power and gave tools, checks and balances to bring to light. Two, the notion that the most powerful people in the land, law enforcement and intelligence services, should never be questioned, that their version should be accepted as fact, as antithetical to our system. Three, and especially knowing the facts we're, we're, we do, FISA warrants, spies, informants, dossier paid for by rival campaign, we should absolutely ask the investigators question. The notion that the White House can't do this because it was target of said investigators, nonsense. Four, the cleanest way out this is the White House to declassify everything. The DOJ, FBI, intelligence community has forfeited its argument about classification, giving its willingness to blow a source that it could spin a story. Let's the chips fall. As stated, Brennan's going crazy. Here's Brian Wright telling you all what Brennan is. Now remember, Brennan's a Muslim. Obama appointed him on purpose because we were fighting Muslims at the time. But listen to what his people think of him. Brian Dean Wright. Once the FBI IG report is public, the sword of justice will begin swinging. You and the people who dishonored our proud service will not escape. Your protests will then be seen for what they are. A PR campaign designed to incite panic and sow doubt. Your day of judgment is coming. Another guy. Yes, I worked with Brennan. We viewed him as a political hack with the operational mind of an earthworm. He once said the CIA doesn't steal secrets, sums up his intellect nicely. His day of judgment is coming, and he knows it. His high road tweets are an act. Justice awaits. Another guy. Everyone I know who worked with Brennan has the same view, a political hack who had his personal ambition on his only one core value. He keeps CIA from doing its job to spy on foreign threats and use CIA as part of the Barack Obama White House effort to target domestic political enemies. Another one. I worked for Brennan Downrange, one of the worst six months of my life. Total 100% political hack. Never underestimate a bureaucrat's scorn. His word was not taken seriously at a pre-campaign meeting, and he was not consulted further. End of story. Econ chick. Folks, Brian D. Wright is a Democrat who worked at CIA who's been saying the same thing. I've been saying since 2014 about Brennan. He's a political hack. Edmund Burke. Hope. A center-left alumnus of CIA willing to tell the truth. Brennan was a political hack. The true purpose of his appointment will come to light soon. Cicero, he ain't. So here's a couple sound bites that pretty much sum up what our media is like. And, and when you have all that going on and you have those people, the FBI take a disproven, salacious dossier to the secret court to get a secret warrant to spy on a fellow American citizen. And when they go to the court, they don't tell them two important facts, namely who paid for it, the Democrat National Committee, and the author of the dossier, Christopher Steele, had been fired by the FBI because he was out leaking information. They didn't tell the court those two important pieces of information. All right. Chris, you go to, you go to court... 
I got the zone. We got, we got to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You're, and the FBI should have to do the same well, darn well, thing. You're flooding the zone. And if you want to tell the I'm whole the truth, truth, then don't shade everything. They did trust Steele. They didn't like that he went out. That severed the relationship. It wasn't that they didn't trust his sourcing or his work. They did disclose where the dossier came from. It is not all false allegations in that dossier. You know this to be the case, even though you have never seen Chris, the FISA well, application yourself. Hold on. Later, not one FISA. Any type of collusion, any Hold type on. of coordination it's, between the Trump campaign and, and Russia. Jim, but that is, the, that is demonstrably committee. false. We have tons of proof. False? Even Democrats are saying we that. have tons of Even proof. Even the New York Times said that last week, Chris. Listen, we know that's the case. Talking over me does not silence the points. They have to come out. We have to have this conversation so people who think independently can make decisions. There is tons of proof of potential collusion. Oh, we can't have more partisanship than we have right now. The chasm would swallow us both up and we're capable guys. How do you go in there tomorrow with just Nunes, who's so compromised, and with Trey Gowdy, who for, despite his recent rhetoric of being fair and disgusted with everything, is known as Captain Benghazi to the Democrats, and they don't have anyone from the other side? How can this help what happens tomorrow? How can it help? The, the question, Chris, is real simple. We want to know if, in fact, and it sure looks like this was the case, if, in fact, there were informants around the edges of the Trump campaign, talking to people loosely affiliated with the Trump campaign, if it was some kind of spy, some kind of informant, some kind of plant. But you know it wasn't an implant. Know. You know we already. They told you it wasn't. They told us the same Department of Justice who, when they gave us documents, had redacted, but Page and Strzok text message had redacted the fact that Peter Strzok was friends with one of the FISA court judges who also happened to be the same judge who heard Michael Flynn's case. We're supposed to start trust that Department of Justice? You know, Rich, there's another issue that has come up here that whether he will get their treatment in all of this. Um, you know, a lot of people point out if this were Barack Obama and there were indications that there were plans for the government and the prior administration spying on his campaign, all I would break loose. Is that is that your sense? Well, I think that's right. I mean, we've had like, you know, 1,400, 1,500 minutes of coverage speculating about what the Trump campaign might have done wrong vis-a-vis -vis Russia in 2016. There's been very, very little coverage from the mainstream media. It only happens when the president himself gets involved as to what was going on. Were there excesses? Were there problems on the investigation side in 2016? Was the Obama administration pushing the envelope too far? You know, these news stories about an informant sort of, you know, talking to Trump people and then reporting back to the FBI what they said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's that would have been a big story if it had happened to the Obama team under, say, Republican administration, the Bush administration. They're just carrying water. And that last speaker is so right. If this was Bush, if anything ever happened like this with Obama, it would be front page news. But our media is burying it. And doing what Chris Cuomo is, literally doing dim talking points. My at last article on this, I'm not going to read it, but it, it's starting to happen. I'm a Democrat, and the less Russian, Russian gaslighting scares me more than Trump does. And within this, he sums up a key point that I think some Democrats should think about. As we peeled this onion back, there hasn't been Russia collusion. 
and now shows the Russian collusion is just a smokescreen to cover the facts, and the facts keep going against the left. That the left did something pretty illegal. And for those that can't grasp it, you need to take off your partisan blindfold. Remember, they rigged an election against Bernie Sanders. Anybody who paid attention to that, watch the the convention. It was a smokescreen down to replacing no flags to 100 flags and seat fillers. And if you went on Twitter, you saw the media that is reporting to you now on all this didn't even report how the Bernie block took over their tent. And then if you really think about the eight years of Obama, fast and furious. It's not like a service story, it's a fact. The way they covered Benghazi and said it was a YouTube video. The IRS, nothing happened to anyone. And it was proved by the Inspector General, a non-partisan organization. They did do it. They politicized it. The head of the freaking IRS was in the White House over a hundred times. They stopped other groups. They were so scared of losing because America's so racist, even though I won by a landslide. Look at all the lengths they did to politicize organizations to block the partisan opponents. You would never accept that from George W. Bush. Trump, anybody with an R behind, you would not accept this. And as Americans, that's how I'm looking at this. I'm not a Trump supporter. This is illegal as fuck. This is some bullshit banana republic crap where you go after your political opponents to rig elections. And if you can sit with this and think that this is all okay just because Trump's horrible and everybody's fucking deplorable... That's pretty fucking un-American. Let's move on to the next crazy shit. MS-13 stuff. Great, thank you. I yield back. Can I respond to the, the, the speech I was made? Absolutely. First of all, no one on this panel is anti-immigrant. We're law enforcement officers enforcing law that you all enacted. So to sit there and say that we're anti-immigrants is wrong. We are enforcing laws. If you think it's okay to enter this country, they shouldn't be arrested that's just wrong. The laws clearly state and you enter the country legally, it's a crime. And no one's up here saying all criminal, all illegal aliens are criminals. A certain percentage of them are criminals. They, they commit yet another offense after they're here. I have said many times, I certainly understand the plight of these people, and I feel bad for some of these people. But I have a job to do. I think you're being a, being kind, acting ICE Director Horman tells President Trump at MS-13 roundtables. Animals kill for survival. MS-13 kills for sport. That was the soundbite, the head of the ICE, retorting back to Democrats who are now trying to say shit like this. Ian Milheiser, the United States will always carry a mark of shame because we gave this man a badge and gun and put him in charge of others with badges and guns. Punches in bunches. Another leftist defending MS-13. Just a cheap shot. Someone praising Trump. Yikes. According to Politico, Devos said the following, that 
the issue of reporting undocumented students is a school decision and local community decision, adding that we have laws and we always are compassionate. The ACLU strongly disagreed with her. Any school that reports a child to ICEGov would violate the Constitution. SCOTUS has made clear that every child in America has a right to basic education regardless of immigration status. As usual, Devos has no idea what she's talking about. Mayflower. Sorry, but would you mind pointing to me the part of the Constitution that says this? I have a copy here. Not the unicorn farts and fairies edition. Jonathan Allen. Trump, about Trump, Nancy Pelosi came out in favor of MS-13. These people have lost their fucking minds. And in our review section this afternoon, we're going to do Netflix Narcos. Me and the wife binge-watched three seasons because she had the flu this weekend. So we literally stayed at the house and did nothing but sleep and sleep and sleep and watch Narcos. And if you've studied anything about Mexico right now, what's going on, or hear El Paso news, or El Chapo, freaking Don Pablo Escobar, any of the jefes, they are animals. Tennessee's going to ban sanctuary cities, which is great because I live here. I'm very thankful for it. And the White House trolled them. What you need to know about the violent animals of MS-13 to put out talking points. The Washington Times then reported the same very day, MS-13 gang member nicknamed Animal sentenced to 40 years. This is his real name. Animal. Nowhere in the reporting on that did they say he was illegal, though. No, we skipped that. SPLC comes back. It is unacceptable for such racist, dehumanizing language to now be repeated ten times on the White House website in a document that speaks for America. Harula Saga. Imagine thinking it's racist to call murderous gang members animals. And SPLC has chosen the side of murderous rapists who ritually dismember their victims. Because why wouldn't they? WAPO analysis now. Trump again smears a large immigrant community with a violent action of a few people. In the article, the term killing fields evokes the murders committed by the Khmer Rouge, blah, 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 blah. By contrast, there were 37 homicides in all of Nassau and Suffolk County in 2017. The entirety of Long Island, east of New York, the total was down for 59 the year before. The counties are home to 2.8 million people. No biggie, they're dying, who gives a fuck? What's more, one speaker during the roundtable noted that there had been 235 arrests of MS-13 beginning in late 2016, and that there hasn't been a murder linked to MS-13 in the county since April 2017. So fuck it! Not that important. A guy named Colorblind K1D. More Americans are killed by MS-13 than by school shooters. Both are rare and statistically irrational fears used by the press and politicians to create hysteria. Pick one. And he shows it. It's true. MS-13 has killed more people than school shootings this year. Libs, did you hear that? AP, CNN, MSDNC, fail to tag MS-13 murder named Animal, an illegal immigrant. I had this out of order. I should have put it up up top. 
The Boston Globe reported on May 14 that Martinez was captured on video bragging about the slang. The Globe also noted that the killer's nickname is the singular version of the word President Donald Trump used two days later to describe MS-13 member. In a story on Martinez sentencing, the Associated Press violated its own stylebook rule when it failed to note that Martinez is in the U.S. illegally. Below is that unbylined Tuesday afternoon story found on AP. Its erroneous headline in reference to members was still present 18 hours after it originally appeared. Martinez's animal nickname should be a red flag for those who don't like Trump's use of the word. They might as well throw in the towel if the fa- if that's what a murdering gang member calls himself. The AP description of Martinez is a native El Salvador who lived in Boston, obscures Martinez's immigration status. As WBOUR reported, are you a citizen of the United States, the judge asked, and Martinez gave the same answer almost all the others have in this case. No, he's from El Salvador. It's reasonable to believe the AP failure to follow its own style book guidance and describe Martinez as someone living in the U.S. illegally was deliberate. I mean, you can't say the truth when you are fucking saying, oh, we can't call these people animals. But what does America think of it? 56% of American adults in Harvard Caps Harris Poll said referring to members of the gang as animals is fair, compared to 44% who said the characterization was unfair. A slimmer majority, 52%, added that the comments dehumanized members of MS-13 are acceptable. But what's the poll breakdown? Conservatives know the media cooks the books. They try to get their result because they're liberal. They want an American to say, no, that's fucking horrible. You can't call gang members who chop people up and decapitate motherfuckers and rape people. You can't say they're animals. They're humans, too. So they broke it down by this, 37% Democrat, 32% Republican, and 29% Independent. That's how they broke down the poll. So basically they went with 66% non-conservative to try to get their poll to be what they wanted, and it still blew up in their face. It gives me hope that not all lefties are morons. Then this shit came out. Photos of children at a migrant holding facility have gone viral on social media. The pictures are from 2014. They were originally posted with the Arizona Central article about unaccompanied migrant children who were transported to facility in Arizona. This is not who we are as a nation. Antonio Villagrosa. Stephen Miller, Red States, calls him out. Hello. Why did you delete this tweet? Is it because this was 2014 and you're no longer outraged because who this all happened under and you no longer are speechless? Help explain. Rachel Maddow. This is getting embarrassing. Does anyone check the dates of these things? Is the question. Because the next thing she tweets, dear God. Adam Jettelson, former deputy chief of staff for Harry Reid, shared the photos of an Obama bus for immigrants. Hoping we see some strong leadership of congressional Democrats in the face of this moral abomination. It's a truck for kids. They put car seats in it to take them on field trips. 
but it's Obama, not Trump. Southpaw. I was reading about ICE's largest family detention facility, Carnes, which is run by a private contractor, and it happened upon this photo on the contractor's blog. My friend put it, they got a prison bus for babies down there. Not true. News now, now this is news, sorry, a social news company. Never, ever did they ever say when this was. Undocumented children are sleeping in cages of being separated from the parents. Somebody pointed out, hey, this is a transportation requirement to handle the increased school enrollment presented to corporate officials that at the end of the third quarter, they came up with this bus, the third quarter of 2016. Hadass Gold, CNN, CNN, took 72 hours to delete her tweet on it and said deleted previous tweet because gave impression of recent photos. John Farvero again. Look at these pictures. It's happening right now. And the only debate that matters is how we force our government to get these kids back to their families as fast as humanly possible. Then he deleted it. Linda Sossar. Take a look at these photos. Never deleted it. Sean King. I saw this photo floating around. I didn't know it was real. It is. Children in immigration are being held in cages like dogs at ICE detention centers, sleeping on the floor. It's an abomination. It's from 2014. Jake Silverstein. All these photos are disturbing, but the first two are especially awful. It was fake. They knew it was fake. And the media ran with it. On Twitter. While this is going on, not related, April Ryan tweeted a, a freaking Darut false story. Is the Trump administration running a child trafficking ring or nah, follow me down the rabbit hole? This is the senior fucking White House reporter, April Ryan. Drew McCoy, reporter asked if Trump thinks slavery is wrong and Sarah Sanders, if she really baked pie pies would like to point your attention to a potential Trump is a child trafficker. Ami Kareen sums my thoughts. I'm increasingly concerned that the left's public concern with the democracy eroding effects of conspiracy rhetoric is not heartfelt. If you're a journalist with many followers, a CNN politics contributor, is it okay to retweet any headline you want, regardless of it's true? Remember, the core purpose of journalism is to research, document, write, and present the news as honest and ethically in an unbiased way. Oliver Darcy. It's because it's thought experiment and not to be taken literally. But nowhere in the headline to say this is a thought experiment. Seth Mantel. Thought experiment. The president is a Nazi and Nazis have taken over the government or the president is running a child trafficker ring. But nah, that one's crazy. Ha ha, fun stuff. Fun stuff. This is our media. They side with gangs. We're continuing our extended conversation with Congressman Eric Swalwell, Democrat of California. Uh, so you've talked a lot about Russia, but you've also become known for your position on guns. And you're one of the very few Democrats, I think, who's been honest about that. Um, you say that 
the U.S. government ought to ban a certain species of rifle. You wrote a piece about this. It's not a secret view you have. You wrote it in USA Today, and you say this. We should ban possession of military-style semi-automatic assault weapons. We should buy back such weapons from all who choose to abide by the law, and we should criminally prosecute any who choose to defy it by keeping their weapons. So we should confiscate uh, this entire class of firearms. What do you think would happen? if the federal government tried to do that. Well, Tucker, did you read the op-ed? I did. I just quoted from it extensively. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not calling for a confiscation. What I'm saying is we should invest in a buyback, that we should restrict any weapons that aren't bought back to gun clubs, hunting clubs, shooting ranges, keep them there where it's safe and not on our streets. And if you were caught, just like if you were caught you know, with drugs or anything else, if they had probable cause to go into your home and you had one of these weapons, yeah, you'd be prosecuted. I'm not, I've never suggested sending troops okay, out I'm gonna or quote collecting an old friend of mine Eric Swalwell. He's yeah. a congressman yeah. from California on the Intel Committee. Good Can you put it back on the screen, yeah. please? I'm just going to quote yeah. once again. And we should buy back those weapons, yeah. and I'm quoting, criminally prosecute all, uh, criminally prosecute any who refuse to uh, who d choose to defy it by keeping their weapons. So you're going to prosecute people who don't give up their weapons. That's gun confiscation. If they're, if they're caught with them, yeah. Not, we're not if sending, troops, we're them, not sending yeah. troops door to door. So, but what do, you think, what, what do you think would happen? I mean, do you think, because, of course, the overwhelming majority of those people are law-abiding, have committed no crime, have no plans to commit a crime. You would instantly turn them into felons. Do you think that you would have a civil war? Are you worried about that? What do you think will happen if we do nothing? You think more kids will be killed? I'm not. I'm not. You think I'm not more arguing concerts will be shut up? More I'm churches not, will I'm not arguing on behalf lose of parishioners? Doing nothing. I'm critiquing your yeah. very specific suggestion for yeah. what we. And you're a lawmaker, so it, yeah. this, this is meaningful what you said. And I, I trust the American people are law-abiding that their weapons could be bought back or keep them in a gun club. You don't have to give it up. But what if you want to keep club? them in your home and you've done nothing wrong, yeah. you haven't hurt anybody, and now you just made them into yeah. felons. Yeah, no, it, there's no troop roundup here, Tucker. No, but I, you I, just I, made them into felons. You just said that yeah. in the piece. Look, I'm not... I'm not making this up. You wrote that. So what do you I, think? Like, if, if I'm a gun owner and I have one of the weapons that you say should be banned, and I don't feel like yeah. bringing it to a gun club. I feel like keeping it in my bedroom closet. I don't think you're giving the American people enough credit that they'd be law-abiding and that they would... That they would obey you. Well, not or else obey. they'd be criminally prosecuted. No, I, I'm suggesting we have a conversation in Congress and pass a ban like this. Would they would be obeying the law. Would you apply as written by you? Yeah, it would have to be passed by Would you apply these standards to yourself and your fellow members of Congress? Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, that, not you, cops though. I don't think cops should oh, be outgunned. Oh, so your bodyguards could have any kind of. I don't guns have bodyguards. Yes, Tucker, you but do. I was there today. No, no, you have no, many body. I don't I was have just bodyguards. There today. I don't personally have bodyguards. Oh, but you're surrounded by them. Yeah. You're surrounded cops. by bodyguards that I pay for, and they're they police officers. Kind of, they're sworn. They're trained. They're there to protect you. They're and they shouldn't be outgunned. And that's the problem. I have two no, no, brothers who are cops. Hold on. My dad was a cop. They're outgunned. But your bodyguards would get to have any kind of gun. They want to protect you, but I wouldn't have... I want them to protect me. I want them to protect the people who are getting shot up no, in the schools. No, but that's and... not... No, Capitol Police exists yeah. to protect you. No. I'm, this so, isn't about Capitol Police. Well, no, but it is, though. It's not the kids who are saying, dying, no, Tucker. It's about me in and their my schools. Family. They're afraid to go to school tomorrow. I, I, they hear a book drop. No, no, but hold on. They are, think a shooter's walking into the so classroom. You're Don't saying, they deserve to be protected? They do. And, and so let's family, protect them. Amen. But why, do family, need, why do you need an, AR, an AR-15 to protect your house? You have them in your building where you work. Police officers. No, your bodyguards. Don't the cops. I'm not Tucker. denigrating them. They work I'm hard. Glad they're there. They no. shouldn't be outgunned, and they're outgunned right no, now. Wait a second. I went to the funeral for four police officers who were killed you, by an assault you weapon. You don't actually care more than I do. We care the same. So it's not a question of okay. who cares. Do you think cops care. should have guns? 
I think that your bodyguards should have the same guns that I have to protect my they're, family. They're America's bodyguards, Tucker. They're not. They're Don't yours. denigrate them like that. I'm not they denigrating work, them. They work too oh, really? hard. Can they come to my and house and protect my wife while I'm at work? If you call the police, yeah. Oh, but can I have a Capitol yeah. Hill? When you go to work, they they're hang out and protect the, you. They're protect, protecting the constituents. Oh, no, they're protecting who come you, in. actually. I don't have to. So why for not? Tucker. Hold on. Why shouldn't my wife have the yeah. same firearm at home that your yeah. bodyguards use to protect you? Is that fair or is that unfair? Why is that unfair? That's a ridiculous argument. Oh, why? It's absolutely ridiculous. Why is it ridiculous? Because you're more important than me? No, I don't. I, you are trying no, to. No, I'm asking a sincere here. question. Why should you get to protect yourself? Our cops should not be outgunned. No, period. I'm talking, not our cops. Our military cops. shouldn't be outgunned. No, your cops, period. Capitol Hill Police, have. Yeah. Why don't we just limit them to the same Tucker, gun I can have at home? Why can't, why can't we, we have we a real that? conversation about this? This, this is a real conversation. Why is it nonsense? You're putting your life. You're above calling my cops family. bodyguards, and that's no, disrespectful I'm to not them. Calling all cops Police week was last week. They were all here in town honoring the fallen, and you're calling them bodyguards. I'm calling your. My dad was a cop. He's not a bodyguard. No, no. He protects people. Do you? That's ridiculous. Do members of Congress have bodyguards? I noticed when I You're calling a cop a bodyguard, man. That is so disrespectful. They are. No. And the government pays for them. They protect you and your kids. No, they're in our families. Can I get the same in my office? They shouldn't be Taxpayers can pay for it. They shouldn't be outgunned. They're outgunned today. Can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Um, if I walk down the hallway in front of your office, you have officers there paid for by taxpayers. Great guys. I'm not attacking them, obviously. And I think they watch this channel. Thank you for that. They're not at all. I'm merely saying that you have better protection than I do. And you're saying that my family doesn't deserve to have a certain species of weapon. You get to decide what we can protect ourselves with, but you're not going to in any way take the ability to protect you away from the Capitol Hill police. I'm saying that every police officer in America today is outgunned. For their safety and for the safety of the people they protect, <laughs> we shouldn't have assault weapons. Right. You just don't want to apply the rules to yourself. I get it. I wouldn't either. You know what I mean? I care about protecting my family. Well, let's protect the kids first. That seems yeah, like the first place to start. My house. I agree. Thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. That is a damn representative being trashed by Tucker. But they have a new talking point. Comparing all fatalities of school shooting with all the military deaths, ladders higher. Contrary to the original headline of this article, in both cases, these totals have been boosted by mass casualty events. In the case of the military, 20 of the fatalities occurred in just three aircraft crashes. In the case of children, most of the deaths were in Santa Fe, Texas, last week in the mass shooting in Parkland. And they're running this all over the place. They're not running, father of accused Texas shooter believes bullying was behind the rampage. And they're not running, Zach Devin, a student at Santa Fe High School in Texas, who blames parenting and mental issues. Let's get this out of the way, he tweets. In no way could this have been stopped by gun reform or gun ban. Remember, he was carrying an illegal firearm and illegal explosives. This is a parenting issue, a mental health issue. Stop talking guns and let's talk change. One last thing. And tell me if I'm wrong, but the only reason Emma and David have an audience is because they are actually just an overused meme and for some reason have crazy libs twirling in circles for them. Alrighty, good night. And he goes and does a bunch, which breaks down the truth. But it's not stopping the left. A gun group, control advocating students, took out a full page ad in Houston, paid for by every town. To Governor Abbott, because they really want to change Texas. It's not about guns. It's about they want to win Texas. They think they can make it Texas Austin. They actually believe they could take Texas for Trump. Not happening. 
Here's part of it. Our job is to be good students. Your job is to keep us safe. You have failed at your job. Like so many politicians cozy with the NRA, you have steadfastly opposed any reasonable measures that blah, 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 blah. A few months later, you said that gun violence was happening because of hearts without God. Do you think that children who were shot in the classes week died because they haven't prayed enough? And they end it. This is huge. It's a full page. You said that straying for Jesus is the cause of gun violence. Well, that is... That this be your come to Jesus moment. Children are dying. We're being shot and killed in our classrooms, homes, movie theaters. Even as we walk home from school, we have become collateral damage in the country. We appreciate your thoughts and prayers, but without policy changes, crisis will not end. You're dying on your watch. What will you do about it? Yeah. Attacking Christianity. They love this. Then there's an early morning report to AP's Will Wessert and Jim Verturno headline and virtually decried how Friday school shooting in Texas may not bring change to Texas. Texas has more than 1.2 million licensed handgun owners. Guns are so hardwired in Texas culture. These are all the highlights of the article. But the state's 20-year dominance by the Republican Party all but guarantees the meetings will be dominated by calls to boost school security and hardened campuses, an idea backed by the NRA, instead of demands for gun restrictions. This is a sharp contrast to the response of the February 14th shooting at Parkland, a lobbying campaign led by a student survivor of the attack. Gun control advocates around the country have long pressed for such measures as expanded background checks and ban assault rifles and high-capacity magazines, but such measures would probably have no effort on the Santa Fe high school shooting. Even the young people from Santa Fe are not full-throated advocates of gun control to keep the children safe. That's a fucking AP article. And they did not cover this. Like Hefner, shooting update. A man walked into the Louis restaurant, opened fire with a gun. Two people shot. One person has been taken to a hospital with serious injury. A bystander with a pistol confronted the shooter outside the restaurant and fatally shot him. Kurt Schilster put his ass down. Liberals prefer not to be stopped, never disarm. Two armed citizens killed a shooter, opened fire in Oklahoma. By the end of the day, USA Today, after a man opened fire, shooting and injured three people, two armed bystanders shot him dead in the parking lot. Shane Bohan. Can somebody explain to me why this isn't the lead story on every news program in the country? It wasn't. They didn't even talk about it. It was a byline. The Daily Beast. After two men armed stopped a mass shooting at Oklahoma City Diner, conservative media and gun rights organizations seen to bond the story as evidence that more guns could reduce gun violence. Seized. The media would have a lot more credibility if their hostility wasn't so predictable. When the left uses it for their narrative, it's because they care about the kids. But when the right does it, it's seizing. Two tweets. Shannon Watts lost her fucking mind on this. The gunman was shot in a parking lot after he shot his intended victim, a woman and their daughter. The NRA's new slogan, the best way to stop a bad guy with a gun after he's already shot his intended victim is a good guy with a gun or the police. Whoever shows up first. She hated this. Every town hated it. They went crazy. NRA is another tweet. The two men who got guns from their cars to take out the Oklahoma shooter were A, former police officer, and B, a member of the National Guard for two decades who served Afghanistan. Not average civilians. 
Those are average civilians outside of Los Angeles and New York City, somebody said. She thinks this justifies her point. She basically showed, once again, laws in the books to prevent criminals from owning guns failed. If you can't enforce laws we have that clearly prevent this, I'm not inclined to surrender more freedom to broken laws. Not just trained individuals, but people whose profession involve firearms. They aren't a good guy with a gun. They're cops and soldiers. This is no place for amateurs, she responded. Sorry to bust your bubble, lefties. Outside of the left coast and the right coast, there are a lot of retired military and police officers and hunters that are really good with guns. Now, I don't recommend you arm up your people because all of you hate guns and you'd freak the fuck out. Then outlining all this, David Fuckhead Hogg, I don't give a fuck. I don't care if he's a kid. He's no longer a kid to me. He's a punk. He started die-ins in Publix. So Publix has stopped doing all contributions, political, associates, groups, doesn't matter. They're not doing anything. And the funniest thing about it that the media is not going to fucking report on is this. They're going to stop donating to YMCA who is a member of the Coalition to Stop Guns. They're not going to give any more money to UIMCA, which supports same-sex marriage. They're not going to give money to Planned Parenthood. They're not going to give money to Susan G. Komen Foundation. They're going to stop donations to 10 liberal groups. Because Publix is liberal. So keep eating Starbucks and, and Publix. Keep doing it, David. You're hurting your side, not the NRA. NRA's private contributions like me and my wife. That's where they get their money. Memberships, dumbass. They don't get federal funds to go fight guns and abort babies. And then there's great conservative articles. Not going to read it. The other America, the anti-gun left is learning their tactics do not resonate in Santa Fe. And it's off the air. LA Times, BuzzFeed, they all reported shit like this. Students weren't blaming guns for what happened, with vigils not even mentioning guns. There are also no protests being planned in support of gun control. What is wrong with these kids? As with anything, the anti-gun left pushed, give it time. The truth does come out. With Parkland, the shooter, Nicholas Cruz, part of the Obama-era disciplinary reform program, that some are all saying allowed him to slide through the cracks despite several fuck-ups. There'll be no town hall, somebody says. National media won't interview them because it doesn't push the gun control agenda. They want liberal rage. These kids in this community is grieving together and not rushing into the arms of liberals, anti-gun insanity. For the news media, gun deaths are only tragic of political dividends could potentially be reaped. If not, the reaction is more or less a collective shrug. Whatever. It's Texas. I'm sure that's a common observation in newsrooms of America's elite media. A veteran teacher, it's the point the left wants to ignore for political reasons, and he breaks down perfectly an analogy that works on this. Over his time, he sent home sheets to the parents to fill out about the kids. In the beginning, 98% came back. Parents were part of the kid's life. Now, 22% come back. Parents are not part of their kid's life. It's parenting 
and mental health, my friends. That's what it's all about. You can restrict, buy, we can never buy another gun. It's not going to stop shit. You can ban ARs. There's millions, 15 million in this country. You're not going to get them, or 5 million. I don't know the number, but it's a fucking shitload of ARs. Got two in my house with about a thousand rounds. So you can restrict whatever you want. It's not going to fix it. But I think it's hilarious. And that's why I reported it. Texas isn't the America you like, media. We're gun-toting, God-fearing, piece-of-shit deplorables. So we're going to end this on a great segment from Matt in Oregon. It's Colin Noir. How we make the media less fucked up. And we're going to go a music break. Go into our tweets of the day. Can anyone tell me the last time a mass school shooter left a manifesto, a comment on social media, or a video where they said they were inspired to commit their atrocity by a firearm? Name one. I'm sure you can. And neither can I. Because as much as the media love to pivot the conversation after a mass school shooting to gun control, the pen is still mightier than the sword. These kids aren't being inspired by an innate hunk of plastic and metal laying on a table. They're inspired by the infamous glory of past shooters who they relate to. And no entity on the planet does a better job, whether directly or indirectly, of glorifying these killers and thereby providing the inspiration for the next one than our mainstream media. We're going to show the chilling scenes. We're going to tell the horrific stories. One, six, nine, ten means we got shots fired. And it allows you to recreate the scene to exact scale. Are they dead or alive? Tonight, new cell phone video of the moment the dance floor turned into a killing field. You may hate guns and want to ban every single one of them, but even you know what I just said is true. Attention-seeking in this country is at an all-time high. And if social media has proven one thing, it's that there are people out there willing to do anything for attention, even if it means slaughtering classmates they hate, but letting the ones they like live so they can tell their story to every mainstream media news outlet who are itching like fiends to be the first to do a deep-sea dive into the killer's background. Authorities say there are clues in his journal and on his cell phone, and he left the social media footprint with chilling images. As they see it, they get to leave a legacy of carnage, and the higher the body count, the better. And we all know Wolf Blitzer will be right there with the death toll counter keeping score. While they're doing all of that, the next mass shooter is quietly watching in envy as the guy who was just like him gets his name etched into the history books as he's showered with attention and even love letters from women who would otherwise never acknowledge his existence. And this kid will be inspired to not only do the same thing, but to outdo the last kid and get, as one high school student once said to me, a higher score. It's time to put an end to this glorification of carnage in pursuit of ratings because it is killing our kids. It's time for Congress to step up and pass legislation putting common sense limitation on our mainstream media's ability to report on these school shootings. There's no need to cover these shootings for two weeks straight, plastering the kid's face over and over and over again. Pass a law stopping the media from reporting the killer's name or showing his face. You could still report on the shootings, we just need reasonable laws that place limitation on the glory and fame you give to these killers and their twisted motivations. You know that feeling of anxiety that shot through your body when I said the government should pass laws to limit the media's ability to exercise their First Amendment right? That's the same feeling gun owners get when they hear people say the same thing 
about the Second Amendment. Hearing me advocate for the government's ability to limit anyone's First Amendment rights, including the media, should anger all of you watching this video. The same way it should anger you when anyone tries to use the same limitations on the Second Amendment. Here's the thing. I do believe our mainstream media news outlets should hold themselves accountable in the way they cover school shootings. They should take into account how over-reporting on school shootings inspires other shooters. I honestly believe ignoring shooters and not giving them any attention will do more to stop school shootings than any gun control measure ever will. However, I vehemently disagree with the government infringing on the media's First Amendment rights the same way I don't believe the government should infringe on anyone's Second Amendment rights. The solution to the problem we all want to solve will only come with a firm commitment to all of our rights, not just the ones you think are important. at the media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed Diane Feinstein, E. Aprebo Esta Mensaje. Uh, Senator, would you like to say something, Diane? I would. What about a clean DACA bill now? La senadora Diane Feinstein apoyó nuestros Dreamers y DACA contra Trump. La senadora Feinstein votó contra todos los intentos de Trump de rechazar Obamacare y está apoyada por el presidente Barack Obama. 
Además, Diane Feinstein apoya ampliamente el pago igualitario a las mujeres. Valores de California. Senadora Diane Feinstein. Congress is finally making progress on this plan to fix America's correctional system. The House Judiciary Committee has passed this bipartisan bill that will help inmates transition out of prison and teach them life skills that could land them proper housing and a job. Just last week, CNN political commentator Van Jones moderated a prison reform summit at the White House. People on both sides of the debate, including former inmates and President Trump, shared ideas about how to move forward. I also want to thank Van Jones primarily because he constantly says such nice things about me. <laughs> he did. He did. Every once in a while, right? Every once in a while. He did. He's, hey, he actually has on occasion. Not too often, but I'll tell you what, though, it does feel good. When we talk about our national program to hire American, this must include helping millions of former inmates get back into the workforce as gainfully employed citizens. And Van is with me now. And Van, I know you. I know how much of this is your your life's work, how, how much you have poured into this. Um, I just want to first ask, for people who aren't familiar, tell me about the bill. And and you've even had to make your own concessions. What what do you think doesn't go far enough? Well, first of all, um, uh, last night uh, in a landslide vote, the First Step Act, if you want to know more about it, firststepact.org, but the First Step Act passed landslide, bipartisan. Uh, Trump supported the bill. Nancy Pelosi voted for the bill. Jared Kushner su supported the bill. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries supported the bill. So for uh, once in this entire national nightmare of dysfunction and fighting about everything, there was a bipartisan breakthrough in the House of Representatives to help the least of these, to help people who are suffering behind prison bars. And a lot of liberals said, Van Jones, what are you doing? How can you sit down and talk with uh, the Trump administration? Mm -hmm. Because you know, I've been so tough on them on you know every issue from human rights immigrant rights environment the whole deal what do you I say said, to them you know what there are two i said there's two hundred thousand federal prisoners in the palm of their hand and i don't think that they would appreciate us uh, uh refusing to go and sit down and talk about how to make their lives better the first step act will actually make their lives better it'll let them earn their way home, home sooner it will stop women prisoners from being shackled and uh, when they're having babies there's a lot of horrific stuff that's been going on uh, that this bill will eliminate. And I just can't tell you, the entire Democratic leadership in the House, including Nancy Pelosi, voted with uh, on this bill and for this bill uh, that, that Donald Trump and Jared Kushner are for. It was a bipartisan breakthrough, not to give out tax breaks to rich people, but to help the least of these have better lives. And I think people should be very excited about that. So you have, though, other critics, you know, other, you know, big name Democrats uh, who are saying, quoting them, the core of the bill could actually worsen the situation in our federal prisons, the likes of Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. What's your response to them? Well, look, I, I love all those people. I've known Cory Booker for 25 years, known Kamala for 20. Uh, uh, there, there was a, this thing, it divided Democrats and it divided Republicans. Democrats saying it didn't go far enough. I agree it didn't go far enough. The problem is, though. If you hold out for everything, sometimes you get nothing. And under the Obama administration, we held out for everything and we wound up with nothing. And so uh, the first step is just that. It's the first step. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation about the bill because some of the earlier versions were so bad. But Hakeem Jeffries, give him his credit. Hakeem Jeffries worked to get this bill from bad to good to great when it comes to prison reform. And uh, I think the Senate should, should take it up. And listen, uh, uh, I think you're seeing a new moment. Brooke, 
where uh, at least for the people who are suffering the most, the addicted, the convicted, uh, people are beginning to be willing to put some things aside to get something done, and that's a good thing. No bill is perfect, uh, but this bill uh, is a bill that will do a lot of good. Can I, let me just ask, uh, what has it been like working with Jared Kushner? You know, uh, I'll put it this way. I'll quote my, my friend Jay-Z. Uh, we got 99 <laughs> conflicts, but prisons ain't one. Okay, I disagree with Jared Kushner and the Trumps on so many things. But, you know, here's the deal. And I had to, it's a moral dilemma for me, bro. If I disagree with you on 99 issues that are important to me, trans rights and immigrant rights and, and environment and the whole deal, but uh, 99 things, but on one thing I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Should I do nothing? Should I do not one thing to try mm -hmm. to help people who don't have voices? And I said to myself, you know what, uh, uh, I've got to at least try. And I think at the end of the day, uh, what we're going to learn about this country is that where we fight, where we disagree, we're supposed to fight and fight hard. But let's not forget where we agree, we're supposed to work together and work together hard, especially for people who don't, who don't have a voice. Okay. One more. Have you heard what Steve Bannon has just said to the to the BBC on uh, Donald Trump and, and Dr. King? Hang on, but hang on before you jump in, in case people haven't seen it. That is a. Feinstein, literal commercial for re-election in Spanish about dreams. Hey, tweet of the day! Talking about the just lost it, as you'll see. The first person to respond was to Feinstein. Yeah, I find this insulting as a Hispanic. You don't just vomit out a sentence in Spanish to do the rest of an active native speaker. And then Van Jones... Awful to see parts of the liberal establishment desperately trying to kill bipartisan prison reform in the U.S. House. Some so partisan would rather hurt GOP than help prisoners. Luckily, 60-plus grassroots groups support First Step Act. They know we need to put real people over politics. Oliver Willis calls him jivey, basically insinuates he's a house n-word and says he was shucking and jiving van jones yes i did i am proud to be working with the pro-prison reform faction inside the administration i'm not alone especially proud to be supporting representative jeffries keith ellison tulsi gabbard and a bunch of other liberals who put down their crap he literally called them clown dancing and said ah lordy massa trump Say he gonna give us day criminal justice reform. Show enough. This went on forever. And he finalizes it with aiding Trump is aiding racism. And Van Jones is aiding Trump. Even worse, he did a dog and pony show for Ivanka. It was gross and disgusting. Mm. Yeah. That's the left. Then there's this nugget. Kate reads books. The 2016 Hillary campaign will never not be the most maddening thing. They lost a fucking layup election, for Christ's sake. She then tweets all these little quotes from this book. And I thought it was interesting, so I'll read them. Robbie had just done a conference call with donors telling them Hillary was up 7 points in Michigan, 20 points in Wisconsin with 10% of the early voting tally. Hispanic turnout was up 139% in Florida. She'd win North Carolina by 3 or 4 points. Comey did not change the fundamentals of the race. We saw a tightening before Robbie, who put his faith entirely in his calculator and reassured Hillary minions 
minutes earlier, excuse me, that she was in good shape. If we win Florida, we don't actually have to win Pennsylvania, he reminded her. On the conference call with senior campaign officials, Robbie put on a sunny border on a delusional disposition. That's okay. This is all okay. Our path never relied on Florida. We can lose there and still be fine, he said in response to Elon's question. Long pause. But Robbie, Elon started slowly, realizing what the next statement would mean. If our models were wrong in Florida, they could be wrong everywhere. 9.02 p.m., Hillary Clinton. Robbie, what the fuck is happening? And this Kate Reed books. Dear Mother of God, Robbie Mook. I mean, they dug their own grave. Should have fired or never been hired. This is malpractice. And I cover it because it's just so funny. 18 months, we still find this shit. All over the airwaves. Then there's this tweet from Grace Raw. No, I will not shed a tear if that newspaper is no longer here, de Blasio says the New York Post. The Post is not like everyone else, and their presence in our city is harmful, he adds. There's a mayor advocating for taking out press. Could you do that, not be front page news as a Republican? I think not. But our tweet of the day comes from Just Jen. It's perfect logic covering what we just covered. I'm renaming my AR-15 MS-13 so the Democrats will protect them. (laughs) Yesterday, Gina Haspel was sworn in as the first female CIA director in American history. And Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders tweeted that her appointment shows the quote, Democrats are losing their war on women in the Trump administration. Oh, please. Oi, Gavolt. It's her- it's- so who, who's, who's being singled out based on their gender? Well, I mean, it, it's such a hypocritical statement. The, Trump just signed a bill that says we're going to be pulling back federal funds to places like Planned Parenthood that provide health services for women. So who's creating this war against women? Yeah. Not the Democrats. And, uh, well, is, that, is that supposed to mean that any criticism of her as a candidate wasn't justified? I, I don't understand why they would state that at all. I, I, I'm not too good, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's just, I was actually really... Yeah, well, he signed a bill. It may not go through. They said it was a proposal. I'm being yeah, told it was a proposal. He okay. hasn't signed well, it yet. It's on the track, and there are other things like that. Yeah. Go well, ahead. I was just frustrated when I read this tweet because we as conservatives are railing all the times. One of the tenets of the things that I believe in is that we should get away from identity politics, meaning, like, mm-hmm. if you're a woman, you automatically have to believe these things. If you're a man, you automatically have to believe these things, et cetera, et cetera. And during the election, I felt a lot of messaging coming from the media, everyone from Madeleine Albright, who said that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. Hillary Clinton saying women supporting President Trump are publicly disrespecting themselves. Michelle Obama, any woman who voted against Hillary Clinton voted against their own voice. All of these things, I felt a lot of pressure like, oh my gosh, if I have a uterus, I have to vote for a woman. So it's hypocritical for the administration on the other side to be coming out and saying, oh, Gina Haspel's amazing because she's a woman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we should be picking the best candidates, period, across the board for everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I,
you know, women should support women because the stats make it very clear that when women are in office, women's issues are in the forefront. And so but, I think again, it's something that should be considered. a woman's issue for me is terrorism. We've talked about this many times on the show. Yeah. For me, my women's issues, foreign policy, number one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. And the idea that, like, Planned but, Parenthood but is are, the number one issue for women in America, but, no, all women. No, not the number one, but there are issues that just, are specific just, to just, women. It's just, and, it's just false. Well, I'm sick of no, this. No, no, I'm no. sick of the idea that all women's issues. There are issues that are specific to women. Women and women legislators are more likely to introduce legislation that specifically benefit women. And if, that's just a stat. If you but go let me into midterm elections with that message, you, it is not going to be the blue well, wave. That's my message. That's Megan McCain on The View. I don't have an article to go with it, but I love how she takes Planned Parenthood to task. Our first hate tweet of the day comes with Sean King. This is his freaking final tweet. I'm going to do this in reverse order. When the victim you fought for turns out to be the victimizer, Sharon Dixon Cole and the painful consequences of a false report of sexual assault and police misconduct. He's saying the victim is a lady who lied about reporting sexual assault on a trooper. Not the trooper, from his article. But Sharon Dixon Cole is not one of those victims. She victimized us. She victimized the man she falsely excused, and she victimized those who stood up for her, believing that she and her experienced the worst crimes. Thankfully, she does not represent anyone but herself. She does not represent actual victims of sex crimes. She does not represent actual victims of police brutality. And she does not represent black women or black people. An awful tendency exists in this country to hold all people of color responsible for the transgressions of the one person in the group. That's racism, and it must be rejected here. We reject what Sharetta Dixon Cole has done. It's awful. But she's a victim because she's black. That's how he summarizes it. And this is all over being pulled over. And she didn't know there was a body cam. She accused him of shit. I'm going to surmise it because it's very long. And it's all bullshit. John Cardillo. Sean King smeared a Texas Department DPS trooper with false allegations. The victim was proven to be a liar after the footage was released. Body cams are having unintended consequences for the left. According to Raw Story, King's original Facebook post making the false accusation was shared 50,000 times. A woman's lawyer, who is also a friend of King, has now publicly apologized. And it's all because Sean King took some random story, ran with it, because he's black, so he can say whatever the fuck he wants to the news agencies he's with, and they don't ever fucking retard what he says. 50,000 tweets. And the myth that has been propagated by the previous president, Black Lives Matter, and the race hustlers, another cop is besmirched, and all cops are sexually harassing black women. Yeah. Then Brian Seltzer goes back to that rail they love. Deplorable states. America in one sad headline. Rural and urban Americans equally convinced the rest of the country dislikes them. He goes on to bash the rurals. But it's actually the urban. Urban Americans have a 54% dislike of rurals. Rurals have a 48% dislike. And suburbans like me don't give a fuck about either one of you. And only have a 35% dislike he starts it with rural he talks about rural 
because he's part of that urban that hates rural Americans. And then people tweeted. You have to wonder if he realized he works for CNN. Where does he think this division is really coming from? Oh, we get it. He's trying to blame Trump for it because that's what he does with everything. Well, that and blame the GOP. Perhaps he shouldn't take a long, he should take a long look in the mirror and then take a gander at the other president who pushed division for eight years. Gay patriot. This is Obama's real legacy. Greg. Liberal Democrats have been taking these areas for granted and do nothing for them but point fingers. Decade after decade, these areas are run and ruined by liberal ideology. <clears throat> On this thread, I found this nugget, Andy Lasner. I love how Trump takes to Twitter to try to rile up his followers like a bunch of nameless, faceless people with mega and patron hashtags in their bios are going to do a fucking thing. Kelly, an African-American. Hi, Andy. My name is Kelly, and this is my face. I voted for Trump. I'll do again in 2020. P.S. Today's my birthday. Have some cake. Life's too short to be hating all the damn time. Another person said, we already did something. We changed history. We defeated Hillary. <laughs> yeah. Then there's this nugget. <clears throat> I'm not going to read the story. Tommy Lehrer takes her mother out. They get fucking attacked. Is being cursed out by a restaurant customer calls her a bitch, racist, and cunt. In a proudly posted video, one woman throws a drink on the 24-year-old and she exits the establishment. One man being cheered on spewed the following allure. Fuck that bitch. Fuck this whore. Racist ass bitch. Why you even get here? Get the bit this bitch out of here. Fuck that bitch. The woman who posted the video catches the post. Whoever this guy is that cussed her out, I hope you're having an amazing day. Another one. Whoever threw this drink on Tommy Lair, thank you. And the Snapchatted video reads, throws a drink at Tommy Lara. Ha, ha, ha. Whoever threw this drink at Tommy Lara, thank you. Whoever the guy that cussed you out, I hope you have an amazing day. Anthony Biley wrongly, rightly says on the original, this will prompt Twitter to do something. This shows you what Twitter really is. Twitter moment. Video of Tommy Laren being splashed with water by another patron at a Minneapolis bar went viral, prompting a debate on whether or not she deserved it. That's a literal fucking statement. Somebody tweets, prompting a debate about whether or not she deserved it, Know why you never heard this about a liberal? Because you would never say this. Ben, there is no debate. Shana Quilly did not deserve it. Politics aside, can we not conduct ourselves at a basic level of decency? Have we fallen this far? Scott Weinberg, Tommy Laren should have drinks thrown on her. I don't feel bad. She literally pe preaches hate every day. Good people are bound to respond to her hatred eventually. And that's the thread of the lefties. It goes on and on and on, that she had this coming. In a million years, if I threw a drink 
on a liberal elite talking head, it would be front page news and I would be a sexist. But Twitter made a moment about it. Jesus J. Christ to our hypocrisy of the day. Hypocrisy! That's uh, pretty outrageous indeed. Uh, and other reporters who were inside saying there were empty seats in that room. Uh, Brian Stelter, uh, how, first of all, how are the Associated Press and CNN responding? But by saying this is unacceptable, especially because, as your banner on screen says, the EPA chief has been embattled. Everywhere you turn, it seems, there's another scandal involving the EPA. This is an agency that cries out for accountability coverage right now. We need to know what the heck is going on in Pruitt's office and with his deputies and with his agency. And instead, what we're seeing is the door being closed, in some cases, literally. Uh, well, let's be honest, Wolf, you and I both know there's always a push and a pull between the news media and the government. That's the way it is. But government agencies have been pushing harder lately, much more aggressively, closing the door, sometimes literally, uh, especially in response to reporters uh, who are pursuing accountability stories, trying to hold the government accountable. So here's part of what CNN said today in a statement, uh, quote, while several news organizations were permitted to attend, the EPA selectively excluded CNN and other media outlets. We understand the importance of an open and free press, and we hope the EPA does too. That is Brian Seltzer lying. It started with Chris McGerian, a security guard grabbed an AP reporter and shoved her out of the EPA building, which he tried to attend a meeting on water contaminants. Richard W. Painter, CNN AP reported banned, forcibly removed by guards, just like the Kremlin. Benny Johnson, I was there. No one forcibly grabbed her. She wasn't on the list but felt she was too special for the rules, simply refused to leave despite being asked numerous times to do so. After minutes of stonewalling, police told her they would make her leave. Then she left. Somebody else brought up, I mean, of course, no one at an event full of reporters would break out their phone to record a reporter being forcibly removed from the vent. The fact is, the AP and CNN were not on the list. They could only accommodate 10 reporters that was the event. They crashed it just so they could do this bullshit lying and have another reason to say Trump's a totalitarian. Nope. You motherfuckers are goddamn Pravda. And then this week, the NFL made a decision. Who's the arbiter of respect for the flag? What would be considered disrespect for the flag and the anthem? And... Why Why would the league and the owners kind of willingly attempt to police something that is subjective like this? Well, I think uh, the general public has a very strong view of what respect for the flag is in that moment. Jonathan, in other words, he didn't have an answer for you. 
Yeah, it was pretty unsatisfactory, wasn't it? And, and look, yeah. the general public, I guess, I guess the idea that everyone understands what respect for the flag is, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, right? Everyone who's in the stands is taking pictures on their cell phone. That's certainly not uh, respecting the flag. There are folks getting concessions. If you're at home, you're grabbing a beer. Uh, I think this idea of the general public or the NFL fan is one that's rooted in uh, the white male, and especially the white male conservative. Uh, and I think that it has really kind of forgotten uh, another, a whole other uh, set of the fan. I don't know why the NFL even Just, bothers with it. Exactly. That I don't get. And to me, though, they've actually created... I, Ruth, I, what I don't get here is... So they're saying they don't want players to express their political views, but the players have to abide by the owner's political views. That's what this comes across as. Well, the players aren't... The, the good news about this policy is that the players aren't conscripted to stand there right. when they don't want to be standing there. I personally don't see what the big deal is about I, kneeling. Kneeling feels like a pretty respectful activity to me. Um, but the players aren't able to... In, in an appropriate, respectful way, express their views. They can either, they don't have to be conscripted, but they don't get to, you know, remember the athletes with the black power salute? They don't get to express their views during that time. I have never understood why it was so disrespectful to the flag to, pro, pro, to have a cow about them doing it. It seems to me to be respectful to the well, Constitution to allow some respect. Here's why they debate. did it, though. Well, here's why they did it. Let's put up the Mike Pence Twitter feed today. Yeah, yeah. I understand. I that. mean, Mike Pence believes, hey, winning, that's what he tweeted, winning, Charlie. So Winning by silencing. Win, winning. Cultural war winning. And you're like, because you got the NFL to be cowed by Donald Trump. I think that the long-term solution of all this is just to depoliticize the games entirely. We didn't used to have all these, you know, let's stand and sing God Bless America in the seventh inning. And, all, you know, this is, it goes back to the pageantry of the hyper-patriotism after 9-11. Mm -hmm. Sports really doesn't necessarily need any of that, and it's just asking for trouble. All the different times when we've gotten into these things about doing the national anthem, I think it was a World War I yep. respectful thing. It's always been around a time of when we've been in you know about our democracy and stuff like that so it's showing respect in a moment tying the yellow ribbon when the hostages well, are there we're not we're not in that moment but that's the, the one why, league why that's struggling the, space the one protest. league that's struggling with this is the NFL whose ownership right. demographic is closer to Trump than exactly. any of the other sports that's it not baseball not basketball, not basketball. that's right the <laughs> I, and you can't tell me that isn't a part of this that that is this. That's what I mean. That, that if, it weren't, if it weren't for the ownership demographic, right. we wouldn't be having, the NFL would have ignored Trump. And now he reverts again to that division that has haunted this country since its origins, race, racism, and the lingering cause of white supremacy. Yes, white supremacy. Telling the football players we watch on Sunday to behave as they are told is something we expect of an apartheid regime, not a democratic one. Our rights to free speech, what for all this country's life, is not to defend popular speech, but what many, even a majority of the country, doesn't want to hear. You don't need to say what is popular. But again, it's been clear from his entrance into the political arena that Trump is willing to stick what he knows is not the truth in order to divide. Listen to that angst. Oh, my God. Bitter media lash out against Trump NFL over new anthem policy, which is a total compromise for everybody. 
The uh, editorialists of the New York Times, Washington Post, as well as USA Today, acted as the hated Republican Party had just taken over the NFL and their denunciations. And the ACLU condemned the NFL's actions as un-American. The quickly adopted a narrative of the left is that the league's white racist owners brought an end to protests merely to please the president out of fear Trump would keep bashing them with it. New York Times, the owners of the NFL have concluded... With President Trump, the true patriotism is not about bravely standing up for democratic principles, but about standing up, period, rather than show a little backbone themselves and support the right of athletes to protest peacefully. The league capitulated to a president who relishes and demonizes black athletes. That's the paper of record. Post, the NFL resorted to the Trump pacifying language, respect the flag and the anthem. That phrase is used four times in the policy statement. The word social justice is used just once. Instead, it chose to talk about respect, as if giving a shout-out to Trump, the man who hijacked the issue and turned it into an oversimplified referendum on patriotism. How about liberal ESPN? Stephen A. Smith, a liberal talk show host, first take program. Should the NFL be afraid of a president? Here's the response. Yes, they should. Yes, they should. And that's exactly what I alluded to yesterday talking to co-hosts Will Kane and Max Kellerman. The president, whether you like it or not, whether you like him or not, is the president of the United States of America. Over 62 million people vote for this man. And when you have the power that he has, and you have the influence that he has, you have the ability to hijack an issue like Colin Kaepernick's protest and turn it into something that it's not about, turn it into the issue of patriotism. Max Kellerman spends every day trying to virtue signal above him. He just kept going on and on and on. Here's an end of somebody's rant. There apparently are no plans to alter the presence of military salutes on NFL stages, which often are accompanied by giant American flags. In crafting an anthem policy that punishes dissenters, the NFL is presenting quite the un-American display of patriotism. Could it be just that all the sports reporters or Wahoos? I mean, ESPN's ratings are totally tanking. They're getting beat by Nickel fucking Lodian during their used-to-be banner show, Sports Center, And they're hiring people like this. ESPN employee, sir, our ratings have been plummeting. Think it has to do with our political, how political we've gotten. What should we do? Get me Oberman. And they brought Keith Oberman on. You'll be seeing more Keith Oberman on ESPN. Keith Oberman is expanding his role on ESPN, but it was nearly, but it was nearly even bigger. The largest aspect of Oberman's expanded role of ESPN is that he will co-host around 20 shows. This is the guy that tweeted on August 26, 2017, fuck you, real Donald Trump, Nazi, Nazi, fuck Nazi, Nazi, racist, Nazi, bigot, go fuck yourself, fucking Nazi fuckers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good job, CNN. Good job. Wow. We're going to end up like Canada is my next transition. It's unsurprising Justin Trudeau politically threatened Facebook that if they didn't censor political commentary, he didn't like in advance of next year's election, he'd regulate them. So what do they do? 
They took down all his opposing view. All the parties prior opposing him in Canada, their Facebook pages were removed. And that's where we're going, conservatives, independents, lover of freedom of speech. We're moving that way. Because all they care about is shit like this, the Democrats. First black woman nominee for governor in Georgia, the first Latinx lesbian nominee for governor in Texas, several women who have refused to be on the sidelines of history. Republicans must have been on the edge of their seats last night. Harry Gatto, the fact you don't mention their names in your tweets speaks volumes to why you are promoting them. Check off the boxes. None of their names are in this thread. Because that's all that matters. If you're black, Latino, gay, transgender, you're on our side. Even if you're not. The Babylon Bee and the Onion are in our hypocrisy. And when these two agencies, you usually hear this about conservative shit, but it's been so bad lately, they're directing it towards Democrats. Babylon, Babylon B first. Democrats warned that defunding Planned Parenthood would reduce access to essential campaign donations. Planned Parenthood does not much more than perform abortions, Nancy Pelosi told reporters. They provide crucial services to marginalized Democrat candidates, like spending over $30 million to support pro-abortion candidates in the upcoming midterm election. If we do not prop up Planned Parenthood with taxpayer dollars, she continued, where will Democrat candidates go for the vital health care services Planned Parenthood is known for, like 2000 per plate, fundraising dinners, and slick political advertising campaigns? This is a human rights issue. <laughs> And then the Onion, CNN panelists work North Korea situation way too complex for them to discuss intelligently. <laughs> Woo! Then I found this nugget. NBC News, the Trump administration is moving to reverse Obama-era rules barring hunters on some public lands in Alaska from baiting brown bears with bacon and donuts and using spotlights to shoot mother black bears and cubs Hibernating in their dance. That's their headline. Here's the actual Anchorage Daily News. The National Park Service floats plans Monday to peel back hunting restrictions established during the Obama administration in 2015. However, it's more complicated than the outrage bait above would suggest. Ending the Obama-era proposal will actually bring federal law back in line with state law, which is what the people of Alaska want. The proposed regulation published on Monday that National Park Service floated plans to peel back National Park Service hunting restrictions established by Obama. The goal is to promote hunting and trapping activities and better align federal and state regulation. National preserves are part of the national parks designated by Congress to allow fishing, hunting, mining, and blah, blah, blah. Central dispute is a 1994 state law that focuses on controlling predators, wolves, bears, and other carnivores in order to keep games such as caribou abundant. The Obama-era Park Service said the federal law doesn't support reducing predators to boost population of the prey. So what this is really about, and they don't want to report it, is the fact that for Alaska, caribou, moose, those herds are essential for hunters to fly up there and spend tourist monies. So liberal, Republican, it doesn't fucking matter. It's about the economy. And if you let the predators take the fuck over, they take out all the weak and all this, and then you start thinning the herds, and then you start having extinction problems. It's bullshit. 
But should you expect anything else from NBC News? Then Politico did a hit piece. I'm not going to go depth in it. But it's basically Trump's carrying a secure iPhone. They're trying to refer this back to actually be the following. Trump says he's sticking with a potentially hackable iPhone because it's too inconvenient to change. Same exact argument locker up Hillary Clinton used to justify using a private email server. That was all weak. It's all bullshit. Just straight up bullshit. It's a secure iPhone. You fucking people didn't have a problem with Obama roaming the world with a BlackBerry that was totally unsecured. You're fucking morons. Our media mash. CBS noticing how biased New York Times is. Literally, their editor. You'll hear the pause. MSDNC, kids a responsibility to grab guns because they're pissed off about Texas. Scarborough, if you don't want facts, change the channel. And Nicole Wallace, aghast that a guest won't be as biased as her. Hear how uncomfortable this one is. Dean Beckay, why did you let cameras into the New York Times? Because I thought that if people got a glimpse inside a newsroom, a modern newsroom, they would, they would understand that we're human beings, that we have a mission, um, that we make mistakes, but that we work extremely hard, that we're not biased. I just thought that, that the days when we would not allow people to see that process should be over, and I thought it would help us. I want to get to that idea of human beings in a second, but as you both know, any good story starts with a strong lead. This series opens up on Inauguration Day. It's, it's a cloudy day, but it opens up with clouds over the White House and the editors staring at the screen as if they're watching a funeral. Won't people watching this think this confirms every feeling I have about the New York Times being biased about this president? Except right after that scene, as I recall, and it was, it was unrehearsed, I sort of break into a grin and just acknowledge how big a story it is. I don't think so. I mean, I really don't think so. Um, first off, it was a grim inaugural speech. It was meant to be grim. It's hard not to have had a grim reaction. Because if you listen to President Trump, it would seem that the, that the New York Times tries on a daily basis just to take him down, to try to find things that are negative about him, to take it down, when in fact, you've expanded the Bureau to get it right. Right. The Bureau is now um, close to 100 people. Uh, on Election Day 2016, it was 70 people, so you can see what we've done. We've added the six White House reporters now. There used to be four. We've added an investigations team. We've added a lot more editors, more visual journalists. It's, it's a, it's a, we're out of desk in the Bureau, basically. Think about Parkland that happened in February. There's been a national debate about gun safety and gun reform. What do you guys think should be done? Yeah, it's just kind of hard to control some of this stuff. I just say, you know, you got to be kind to others. Because it could, you'd be saying one wrong thing to one kid, and I could set it off. Have you heard what you want to hear from lawmakers, from the governor, from your senators? Um, I haven't, I haven't heard much, but I've seen stuff about our school. And somebody said that they're going to be donating metal detectors to our school. But I just think, um, just simply locking the doors to the anywhere, just locking the doors from outside, having the kids all come in one way looking for suspicious things, locking the doors to every classroom, that, that'll prevent a lot of things from happening. We saw the teens in Parkland really become the voices of the movement for gun reform across the country. Now your voices have become all important. How do you feel about that responsibility on your shoulders right now, Trenton? It's just kind of you know, what it is. You know, It's sad that it happens everywhere, but you know, just kind of have to go through it. 
This generation, Stephanie, as you heard, I mean, the stats are staggering, and they are showing unity, resilience, uh, incredible example, not only for the community of Santa Fe, but for the rest of the country and the world. Thank you guys for joining us today. Stephanie, back to you. Thanks so much, Mariana, as we think about those kids down in Texas. And now so Max Booth has a column in the Washington Post laying out the five political norms that President Trump violated in just the past week, past seven days. Among them, revealing intelligence sources. That involves Congressman Devin Nunes demanding the name of an FBI informant. Quickly, let's stop right there. That's, yeah, and you can't get used to this. You see shock and you see horror in our voices. It's because we love this country and we're not going to get used to this. Coming up, how to rig an election. Brian Kloss will take us through his new book and why he compares elections to a game of whack-a-mole. And John Meacham joins the conversation. The and, of America. And by the way, uh, one, one final thing. Yeah. Um, if you think, if, if this is too much for you, if you can't handle the truth, if you're thinking, oh, there's just, there, it's just one no, morning show, it's just one. Yeah, yeah, guess what? A fire department has one focus when there's like a four alarm fire, all right? So if you don't want to hear the truth, you can change the channel. We'll be right back. I want, I want you to, you know, try to land there and let us know if that's the impression that world leaders have, that the United States, either wittingly or unwittingly, if you will, elevated Kim Jong-un to places he'd never been before. I really think we have to rem remember uh, how very dangerous it appeared to be getting, how dangerous the conflict in North Korea is. In that sense, I guess, we, we, got, we need to give uh, President Trump uh, a little bit of uh, generosity in terms of how we assess uh, how this is being, uh, being tackled, being played. President Putin and President Trump both trying to move forward, if you like, with North Korea and, and perhaps a little bit side uh, with the North Korean leader in recent months. H however, yeah, I, I do think that it's, it's, it's worth... Uh, so for our Bias 101, here's Don Lemon. This is what he did Wednesday night. CNN Tonight showcased how, how Don Lemon has been grappling with it. Suffice to say, it's not going well, as he informed viewers. Our country's in the middle of an extreme crisis, a crisis that threatens our foundation, a crisis that threatens the value we all hold, hold dear, a crisis threatened to blind us to the truth caused by Trump. Let me continue staring the camera and warning that Trump's working to destroy the very existence of our shared truth in the country, lying to us over and over and over again. Trump's undermining our national traditions and norms in real time, perhaps with the biggest lie of all being that the Trump campaign was spied on in the early stages of the Russia probe. He said that all with a straight face and ended with, very strong words, but this is not just about talk, this is about facts. Facts do matter. The truth matters. And the truth is under daily assaults from the President of the United States, and that is a crisis, and that is the truth, he said. That That's what he said. Huh. Other late entries that came into our hypocrisy. The Hill reported, Chelsea Clinton, Trump degradates what it means to be an American. How about your parents? And finally, CNN gratuitously highlights Trump letter graded by a teacher. A retired teacher took a letter to a student and graded it for grammatical errors. 
Would that ever happen under Obama? No, because as Leslie Stahl takes us to our stats of the day, they're part of the Democrats. Democrats think that reporters are on their side. They expect reporters to be kind to them and gentle. They expect it because they assume we're liberals and we're going to be in, on their side. And when we're not and when we're tough, they, they, they feel betrayed. They feel that there's been a, a family break of some kind. The, Demo the Republicans expect us to be tough, and they just accept that we're tough, and we're all treated the same. It's very professional. They don't call you up at night and yell at you. To me, that is damning language by Leslie Stahl, because the reality is you're friends with these people. They have your number. And why wouldn't Democrats feel that they're going to be nice to you? For eight years of Obama, same team. No new slogans like democracy dies in the dark, etc. So, come on. Get over it. To our stats of the day, Guy Benson. Oh, for years, Iran has been operating a secret weapons facility in remote de desert. Satellite imagery strongly suggests it's for developing long-range missiles. The left tried to twist it as proof that this is what happens when you get rid of the Iran deal. But the reality is, it's been going on since the Iran deal. And it was just released in photos. They never stopped. They just never stopped, as a tweeter said. It never stopped, for it has been... For it to be restarted. But you knew that, you lying sack of shit. Because Max Fitcher was all over Twitter defending <clears throat> the Obama legacy. Some stats. A CBS YouGov poll presents some heartening news for Donald Trump and the Republicans, allies and some sobering de numbers of Democrats, hoping for a blue wave in November. A lot of Americans feel quite good about the economy. Nearly two in three Americans think the nation's economy is in good shape. That's not good for them. Mm -mm. Then a left-leaning poll has really bad news for Democrats in the 2018 midterm. A new poll released on Monday from the left-leaning news publication showed the Democrats are paying dearly. The Reuters poll revealed that the double-digit lead that the Democrats held over Republicans last month and generic ballot voting for 2018 midterms among registered voters is now completely gone as Republicans have opened up a six-point lead over Democrats in a basically generic ballot. <clears throat> Republicans are 40.7% and 34.5% for the Democrats. The recent poll has shown the Republicans could win up to nine seats in the Senate, and the Millennials are leaving the Democrats in droves. <laughs> yeah. It could also be apparent Jake Tapper has lost literally one-third of his audience through May, and it's a trend that isn't stopping. 1.09 million viewers and 304,000 viewers in the 25 to 54 age demo. Correctly, I'm just, just down a third. And another stat that I thought was interesting. Numbers don't lie. Billboard Entertainment Politic Award Shows tank. According to Variety, the May 20th 
Billboard Music Award earned a 2.4 rating in adults 18 to 49. It suffered a decrease of approximately 8% in the demo and 9% in total viewers compared to the 2017 ceremony. McLaughlin Associate Media Research Center for National Polls of 1,000 likely voters on the intrusion of politics and entertainment Quick rundown of the results, 75% agree with this statement. When I watch live sports or entertainment shows on television, I'm trying to get away from politics. 44% said they have been less likely to watch live sports and entertainment shows because of the resistance. 47% of the respondents who did not watch the Oscars this year said the reason for not watching it is they didn't want politics. Then there's the New York Times. A story about a foreign policy think tank that they're aligned with four corrections basically at the end making it a non-story. And they released it over the week, but they never took the story down. Because they're trying anything right now. People are sick. But they don't care on the Twitter feed. Brian J. Kareem, storm clouds over the White House metaphorically and in reality. He's from Washington Post. Somebody tweeted, journalism dies in darkness. Tagging Goddard, sinkhole appears on the White House lawn. CBS reports that the sinkhole has been confirmed by groundskeeper with pictures. This week I've been observing a sinkhole on the White House North Lawn. Jim Acosta, perhaps due to swampy weather in D.C. lately, there's a sinkhole in the North Lawn of the White House. And he took a picture of a person taking a picture. Yeah. Did we ever get reports about the White House lawn under Obama? They didn't even report. Stormy Daniels' attorney is hit with $10 million judgment. His law firm is getting hammered and probably got to do bankruptcy. He hasn't paid back taxes forever. He's defaulted on $440,000 in back taxes. Aventi personally agreed to pay the IRS $2.4 million in back taxes. And maybe that's why he's all over the TV. <clears throat> California is set to provide free health care for illegal immigrants. Not a surprise. The new figure would increase the tremendously high health care costs from $367 billion to $370 billion, and people aren't happy. Jamel Hill is named the 2018 Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists. Are you surprised by that? I'm not. Other stats, Illinois fleeing state by tens of thousands. Illinois in one year lost 33,000 people. The year before, they lost 37. And our last stat, they're actually doing a show. Actress Michelle Williams will star in an upcoming abortion film, one the media are already applauding. She did 11,000 U.S. illegal abortions in the 60s and the 70s, and they're going to do a movie about that. Somehow, I'm not surprised. To a music break. News, social media nuggets.
cornered in fire, so break out the secrets. I hope you know that you were worth it all along. I'm tired, you're angry, and everyone looks blurry. I love you. Leaving so long. Hey, little one. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. But I'm a
our generation, man. All you people, are, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Our military corner, outman, outgun, and fighting, Navy SEAL Britt Slabinski receives Medal of Honor. Those that have been with the show a long time read excerpts from Not a Good Day to Die, Great Synapses, What Happened. Um, not disparaging a hero, I don't know how he deserves one. He's the one that left Chapman on the hill, but... Um, they're going to give them to us. There's going to be a movie about Chapman coming out pretty soon. I'll get the name and review because I'm going to go see it. Um, but it's very interesting. The first real big fights in the war on terror that wasn't like 12 strong are now seeing the light of day. Israel announced they had the new F-35 fighters, and they dropped about 100 ground-to-air missiles and fucked up the ADF. That was awesome. Uh, U.S. Army has flexed. 3,300 troops and 2,500 pieces of equipment through tunnels right on Russia's doorstep. That happened over the weekend. Um, there was another incident with why the Pentagon didn't fly the McCain sailors home. Uh, family lost their son, and they were supposed to be paid. They didn't. There's going to be an amendment that's going to fix that. Fiscal 2019 defense bill aims to change it. If a soldier dies, airman, air force, whatever. Um They'll be flown to Dover. The U.S. is running out of bombs. The Pentagon plans to invest about $20 billion, but the issue is the infrastructure's not there with the ebb and flow of this. There's been a problem keeping the industries that make it. They flex over to other things. So that's pretty scary with the war still going. New Pentagon rules will limit some cell phone use, uh, tablets, laptops, the whole nine yards. Uh, massive veteran policy bill heads a Trump desk. It's a $52, a $52, $52 billion program to try to improve with the new community cares rules for all the injured vets. Remember, uh, we'll do a brief memorial down the backside, but there's our 50,000 people injured on the war on terror and they need to be taken care of. And I don't think we're doing a great job of it. So to our college crazy. University of Michigan spends how much on its army of diversity police? 100. Okay, the note that you mentioned has a diversity staff of 100 people, and they spend 11 million. I fucked that punchline all up. 11 million dollars plus full tuition for 765 special kids. So, put that in your pipe. Idiot lefties boo Casey Dillon. If you remember, um, we covered a girl who did her AR, and she got slammed. 
Uh, story goes, don't worry yourself with these losers, KC. They're on the fast track to mediocrity. Your local neighborhood baristas, if this is the way they react to someone they disagree with politically and they wonder why Trump beat Hillary. Casey Dillon, I'm not upset that I was booed as I received my diploma. It only proves that everything I've been saying for four years is true. Civil discourse is mostly dead on college campuses, and leftist students are intolerant of those who disagree with them. It may be a bit hard to hear in this video, but I assure you I heard it. My family heard it, and the professor's calling the names heard it. Most of the people, other than that resistance group, said it was improbably horrible, can't believe it's happening, except for Jim Carrey, or Jim, yeah, Jim Carrey. Thanks a bunch, Goldilocks. Enjoy the show in Santa Fe tomorrow. Someday real soon, I'll have you for dinner. A picture of a girl walking with an AR on her back. And, uh, you know, what happened to that guy? Stephen Miller asked it. When you used to be one of the highest paid actors on the planet, now you just angrily paint portraits of random private citizens you find on Twitter. He's a piece of shit. USC under federal investigation for anti-male... Discrimination. University of California has joined Yale University as the second institution to face a federal investigation into alleged anti-male discrimination. Both investigations were prompted by complaints filed by USC professor Kursat Christoph Pegos, who argues that initiatives created to benefit women are not necessary now that females constitute a majority of college students. Um, breaking down in here, initially dismissed it. Complaint Peacock filed an appeal and, and the dismissal has been overturned. Men are now a slightly minority. USC constituting only 48% of the student body. Though data on most recent batch of graduates has not yet been calculated, men were also in the minority in graduations there. Uh, since then, the gender gap has grown. By 2018, there's projected to be a 25% gender gap favoring women. And uh, it's all because of Title IX. They've taken it to the far spaces. Like Queer Space course examines bathhouse cruising grounds. Tufts University is offering an experimental course this fall called Queer Space. Explorations in art and architecture exploring how these concepts, concepts have shaped queer understanding and experiences of space. According to syllabus, students will navigate spaces of queer world buildings, including bathhouses, nightclubs, and cruising grounds, which started the age crisis. That's a course now. Huh. Higher learning. Reproductive justice scholar admits abortion is a key concern. Loretta Ross, the Hampshire College professor who helped coin the term reproductive justice, recently acknowledged that abortion is the very heart of the concept. Reproductive justice is typically presented as general advocacy of health care for women, but Ross makes clear that any health care plan must include coverage for abortion in order to satisfy the conditions, conditions of reproductive justice. We knew that abortion advocacy alone is inadequate, addressing the intersectional oppression of white supremacy, misogyny, and neoliberalism. Though the article focuses on how reproductive justice can be used as an advocacy tool to unite intersectional feminists in the world women's health advocacy, it also reveals how the term itself primarily relates to abortion advocacy. Later on, pro-life supporters try to use human rights language to claim that abortion are crime against humanity with no sense of the irony. Apparently, women lose their human rights when pregnant, she claims. Hmm. So she's the idiot. Here's some more idiots. 
back in my home state when I was growing up. He was suspended for wearing a Trump shirt. Now he's suing the Oregon school district. The Oregon high school student is suing his school, saying it violated his First Amendment right. The student, 18-year-old Addison Barnes, told Fox 12 that he was asked to cover up a T-shirt he was wearing that said Donald J. Trump Construction Company on it, or leave the school. The shirt also included a Trump quote, the wall just got 10 feet taller. According to KGW, Barnes wore the shirt to his people in politics class at Liberty High School in Hillsborough, Oregon, in January. Told the TV outlet he knew they'd be discussing immigration in the class that day. School official pulled Barnes out of the class to ask him to cover the shirt. Also told him at least one student and one teacher had been offended by the shirt. The Associated Press reports at first Barnes covered the shirt. Fox 12 reported that when he changed his mind and decided, you know, this isn't right. I have my First Amendment. It's not right what they're doing. Removed the covering, so officials sent security guard to the classroom to remove Barnes, who was told to cover his shirt up or go home. Associated Press, Barnes went home, and school officials treated his absence as a suspension. The school later rescinded the suspension, but told Barnes he'd be disciplined if he wore the shirt again. So, it's okay to wear a shirt that has Hopi Changey on it. I doubt anybody gets kicked out of class for that. Hmm. Now to our regular crazy. I'm pro-choice, but this is sick. We're not entirely sure who these two women are. It was an hour-long screed about abortion is awesome by these two feminazis. But we can tell you their video does far from more harm than good to the pro-abort narrative that no one actually is pro-abortion because clearly these two dumpster fire people are. It is interesting how in the beginning of the video they admit they don't know exactly what they're they are until one woman, we don't want to assume gender or anything, calls herself a problematic feminist. Sorry, sweetie. You have to tell people you're problematic. You're not. But nice try. See if you can watch this two-hour, excuse me, stupid on parade. Mine was only an hour long. Shoe tweeted, I'm pro-choice. And I fucking screamed. Blair White. There's no pro-choice and then there's no pro-abort. And then, then there's pro-abortion. The latter are sick and not worth talking to. They just proved every talking point pro-life has ever said. Thanks, Harpies. And Tippy Tinkle Trouser. I don't know about the handle. They keep saying no one enjoys abortion. Obviously, creational abortion exists. I'm pro-abortion, but don't call it great. It's plan B, not a frickin' protection alternative. Which is true. But that's the left. Article. While kids wait for homes, Philadelphia bars Catholic social services from serving foster care so kids aren't going into placement because they are anti-abortion or something. Uh, I don't understand that, but that's how far some far-left liberals will go. And as I say all the time on the show, they hate you and they hate Christianity. This was an awesome crazy that happened that sparked some interesting replies that I, I just never, never, I never thought would ever be heard. But it's a sign that not all hope is lost. Are you ready? You ready? What's your name? The lady. Make some noise for the lady right now. She said, well, we started that. 
Every time. Swear got you. And clips, all got along. They probably got me down by the end of the song. Seems like the whole city go against me. Every time I'm in the street, I get You got to bleep one single word, no. though. No, I'm sorry. Do it. Yeah, you did it. I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Should she stay up here, y'all? No, please, up here. I got you. I'm used to singing it like a robot. You sure? I swear. You got it. I promise. That's fucking bitch right there. I'm sorry about that. I'm going to see clips. All got along. They probably got me down by the end of the song. Seems like the whole city go against me Every time I'm in the street I get ya, 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 ya So the gist of this is Here's Kendrick Lamar he calls a white person up to sing his song. And in the song, the word N-I-G-G-E-R, or I'm just going to say I'm not being racist, nigger or nigga, is in it 25 fucking times. And he gets bent because this girl says the words and she's kind of white. And it's unbelievable. Kendrick Lamar calls out white fan for saying the N-word during an Alabama concert. This article straight up. The next one, Kendrick Lamar rebukes white fan who rapped N-word on stage with him. In American society, it's widely acknowledged that white people should not say the N-word, nor should they rap it. Nor should they rap it on stage with Kendrick Lamar performance in front of a thousand people. One white appearing woman. Yeah. Identified as Delaney, learned that the lesson, the very public way at a Alabama hangout festival on Sunday. Lamar invited her on stage to do his song, Mad City, which chronicles rapper and recent Pulitzer Prize winner experience growing up in Compton. The song contains, excuse me, 15 instances of nigga or nigger, three of which Delaney rapped with abandon. Delaney admitted it was an honest mistake. Did I do it? I'm so sorry. I'm used to singing it like you wrote it, she said. Critics of law debated whether it's appropriate for white people to sing or rap the N-word if it appears in song lyrics. Given the historical use of the word, Rachel Epitaphs, you should not do it. In November, I was going to play a soundbite on Tour Stop to show how crazy the liberal media... This is from USA fucking today. We were eight years in power. Atlantic colonist and author Tanishi Coates, who we all know on the show is a fucking racist said he sees the word as a teaching moment for white people. I was going to play the soundbite. I'm not going to, but it's not a teaching moment. As we're about to see as we go through this, which really surprised me. Comments on this thread from the USA Today. 
stupid white people going to rap concerts is expected to be expected. This was a setup. The black backfired on the social media. I predict it will be all over the news later today. Get a white fan to join you on stage, rap a song with you that has the N-word, and then chastise them when they follow the so-called lyrics. Here are some other headlines. Kendrick Lamar calls out white fan for saying N-word on stage. Kendrick Lamar interrupts white fan after she raps the N-word on stage, warning graphic language. Kendrick Lamar stops show for white fan, no saying the N-word on stage. Kendrick Lamar halts performance after white fan repeats his words on stage. Another one. This is a such a joke. You feel so disrespected by someone rapping the words of a song you wrote and you invited a white girl on stage, then don't write the lyrics. Start with demanding respect from your fellow African Americans and stop calling each other niggas. Black woman. Another black woman. So a black person can go on stage and say the word nigga and sign along with Kendrick Lamar, no problem. But if it's a white person, it's a different story. Stop using the word problem solved. This blew me away. I ain't gonna lie, I can't ride with K-Dot, y'all, on this one. He invited this white girl on stage to rap a song that says nigga multiple times. She's caught up in the moment, so of course she just raps the same lyrics should, that he wrote that anyone else would rap if she was home by herself. Another one. I've lost all respect for Lamar. It's a shame. You publicly humiliate someone after calling them on stage to sing your song with the N-word. Sadly, this is how ridiculous the world of outrage has become. All these are African-American, by the way. The girl saying, I'm not cool enough for you, bro, after using the N-word proves that some whites think it makes them hip or down, and in some cases they even think they're black. That's the one outlier. And the last one said, if you're freaking offended, stop writing the words, and why don't you guys stop using bitches in words, too? It spurred articles like Kendrick Lamar's onstage outrage. Why rap should retire the N-word? A black person wrote this. But the root shows that we have some major problems in our media. Remember, this is an NBC-affiliated thing. Becky got Kendrick Lamar mad. Rapper shuts down white fan repeating rapping N-word. Another day, another bold Becky. Kendrick Lamar invited a fan, blah, blah, blah. Nothing about a white girl in Alabama rapping Mad City of all tracks sound like a good idea. But Kendrick apparently had faith that she'd be smart enough to skip lyrics like, my nigga. But Becky was like, you thought, and my nigga rolled off her tongue, smooth three times. Kendrick stopped, blah, blah, blah. Am I not cool enough for you? What's up, bro? The causacity. You gotta bleep one single word, though, replied Lamar. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I do it? Did I do it? You might th- be wondering how saying the N-word three times in eight-second span slipped her mind. Her reasoning? I'm used to singing the song like you wrote it. After asking the crowd if you should kick the fan off stage, Kirk decided to give her another chance. What's a beat drop? Becky did her best to skip what seemed to be her favorite lyrics. But she almost said it again, prompting Kendrick to cut the song and boot her off stage. Watch the shameless display, display of caucasity above. Do you catch the disparaging remarks for white people? And that's okay, NBC. But once again, the comments of Darut is surprising. 
When rappers get worldwide fame, most of the people who can afford the concert tickets are the whites. They'll gladly pay a couple hundred thousand to scream the N-word with their fans. I like hip-hop, but the N-word is overused. Nothing is added to the song by using that word. And if all these white people streaming on Spotify and Apple Music are not skipping that word, and when they are in public, they forget to censor themselves, Becky did what Beckys do. I guess Becky is, like, from, I don't know. Another one. I've had this discussion with my family about the gratuitous use of the N-word in too many rap songs. If you're white Becky fans, go out and buy the product. Don't they automatically have the license to sing along the lyrics you penned, especially at your concert? We know damn well they do it in private. Another one. I don't really have a lot of sympathy for Kendrick's point of view. I don't think white people say the N-word, but he throws the N-word into multiple songs gratuitously like the N-word does not need to be part of the chorus of Humble. But he chose to it for it to be there, and it's a lot of other songs. White people are not born with an inherent knowledge of the rules. They aren't taught the rules because they are white. They don't even have the rules to learn the rules, which is why they keep breaking the rules all the damn time. Another one. You make a rap song and you repeat the N-word 25 times. White kids in Iowa, California, New York will say the N-word 25 times. This isn't hard. And all the shaming and lecturing won't change that. Stop using the word yourself and we won't have a problem. There's hope. Bradford Marcellus came out and said, It's more damaging than anything a Confederate statue could ever have done. So that that's kind of pretty bad. But while I was at the root, since we're talking about racism, here's an article on the root. Do white people really go to Chuck E. Cheese? That's that's an article. Yeah. So on this theme, I found this beautiful thing. Josh Fox. I don't know what race he is. He's not white. He's not black. By his picture. Dear white people, let's get this straight. Can't be victims of racism. Racism means that the whole culture, society, economy, much of what is considered law is against you because of your race. All those things support white people. So stop claiming it ever, period. Somebody gave him the definition. He doesn't care because in the army, that was a big thing for the EO people who usually always black and a female. Yes, there is black racism against whites. Go to the root and you'll find it. Mom gushes over son's drag queen alter ego winning prom night. I'm not going to break this down. It is insane. I could read the whole article. I'm just going to play a fucking soundbite. How did you get into this in the first place? Okay, so a little over two and a half years ago, um, I... For the longest time, I had been obsessed with fashion, and I had been designing and coming up with silhouettes and researching, and, um, you know, I had watched RuPaul's Drag Race, and I knew about drag queens, but it never really occurred to me that, like, I could design things, but then also model them myself, so without anyone knowing, just my little secret, I just, like, collected things and, like, over time, got makeup and got a few dresses and things like that. Wigs. Wigs. Party City, Party City wigs. And um, then I graduated to lace front wigs <laughs> and better makeup and I started to sew. And you know, eventually I was like, hey mom, so I do drag. And um, it's been a wild ride since then. <laughs> <laughs> 
useless. Because then comes this. Nine-year-old drag superstar Leticia at RuPaul's DragCon with a message for her haters wearing her infamous sequin onesie and a balloon that says, Eat a dick. Somebody tweeted, A nine-year-old saying eat a dick. House of Man is a sexy costume lingerie line. Adults are encouraging this blue check mark means Twitter approves of users sharing images of nine-year-old children with an eat-a-dick balloon. Others. Child Abuse 2.0 sticker. It's sicker than sick. Nine-year-old who can try this image and why is it tolerated? Adults having a responsibility to protect children, not sexualize them. This is sad and wrong. And if it isn't criminal, it should be. And here's its soundbite. Lactation is the devious diva you could ever think of. I've been wearing like my sister's tutus since I was like threes and fours, even like twos. And I've been dancing around in like pink dresses and stuff. So yeah, I think I've had lactation inside of me since I was born. And that's why I love that song, Born This Way. We just want our kids to express themselves however they see it, as long as it's respectful and they're nice people. You really don't care. I like dancing, and I like performing, and I love, not only you like, I love dressing up. It makes me feel very happy, like I am accepted. The yellow wig with the red dress, and, and then the blonde wig with this dress. When he was about two, he came to me with uh, Mr. Potato Head earrings and asked me to put makeup on him. So we did a little, like, drag photo shoot and he duck face. It was very sweet. And yeah, anytime he wanted makeup, I just put, put some on him. A little bit of dark and a little bit of swoon. And then a little bit of power couple. I want natural contour. You want realness? Yeah. You want drag realness? Yes. yes. I also want stuff coming off of my eyes. When he was about then, we started watching RuPaul's Drag Race. I think when he saw that that was an actual art form and they could be what they wanted, I think he decided that that's when drag's going to be like his life. I love them because they do what they want to do and um, they're not afraid to do it. My friends at school think Lactation is very courageous. She's really good at dancing. They also think that she's really good at playing video games and stuff like that. You know, with the pew 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 pew. It used to be called Peaches Demure. That was the original drag name. It's only been a few months since like the name Lactatia has been around. His sister picked it for him. Lactatia is a diva all time. I ain't a diva and you are not a diva. I am a real diva up in here. Yep. <laughs> a diva can be a drag queen. A diva can just be a woman. A diva can be a man, but I wouldn't really call a man a diva. I would call a man um, a divler. I know people would like go up to their parents and tell them that they want to be a drag queen and then their parents would be like, you shouldn't even know what that is. I don't think that that should be a thing. I don't think that other people should judge what people do. It's overwhelming. Like you feel overwhelmed with like pride that your child is, you know, expressing themselves and showing the world and it's being so well received and, you know, she's pretty good at what she does. If you're shy because of people that don't want you to do something, then you have to just back and be like, 
Okay, I don't, I'm not listening to you. I can do what I want, and this is what I want to do. Hello, gorgeous. Um, hello. My advice to you is keep going. Learn your lyrics well. Give them face. Give them choreography. Give them a lot of energy. They will always remember your energy. Left foot forward. There you go. And chest up. Head up. When you give them your face, just do it like it's a rainbow sweep, as in you're gonna take in all of this wonderfulness. Just like there you go, diva in the making. I love it. It's because of people like you that I'm here. You are my replacement, and you're gonna be wonderful at this. You're gonna have lots of fun with it, and it's gonna take you to a lot of wonderful places. I take rowing classes. Oh, you take fin classes? By the time you turn 12, you are going to be a weapon of mass devastation. I don't care how woke you are. That's just fucking inappropriate. It's inappropriate on many levels. But when we live in a society where articles like this, Hollywood so straight, studio films with LGBT characters dropped to a record low last year. The number of Hollywood films featuring LGBTQ characters plummeted nearly 40% in 2017 compared to the year prior. An annual survey of the movie, major movie studios by GLAAD said on Tuesday. The group found that just 14 wide releases from majors as much as well as offerings from their indie divisions were inclusive of queer identities in 2017. A drop from 23 films in 2016. Only 12.8% of studio films contain characters who identify as LGBTQ cosine of four. Well, since you only represent 7.5% of the country, what the fuck? That means you're overrepresented. So now I see these woke bubble people on the coast. You're fucking abusing children. Why is a nine-year-old walking around in a onesie acting like a girl with an eat-a-dick balloon? Anybody out there tell me how that makes sense? Gee, many crickets. Back to Me Too, former bachelorette alleged female masseuse drugs sexually assaulted her during production, slipped her a roofie, and guess what? She never reported it because she didn't want to hurt the franchise, and it was a woman that did it. That's why we don't and even the copy machine intellectual artists is white. This in our is a white devil. It's media. Date rape. Masseuse rape. Whatever you fucking want to call it. To crazy crazy. Even crazier than nine-year-olds in a onesie with an eat-a-dick balloon. Washington Post. The most unexpected and welcome guest is your next cookout. Carrot dog. How fucking metrosexual do you have to be to eat a carrot dog? Get the fuck out of here. Then the New Yorker. Seven signs that your man's masculinity is non-toxic. Because somehow being a man is toxic nowadays. One, he carries a tote bag. 
that's at once pro-environmental, pro-feminism, pro-reading. He has a man purse. Get the fuck out of here. Two, when he goes to a sports bar to use the bathroom, he buys a glass of white wine. To be polite? What? Three, he openly cries during Pixar movies. I'm not going to dog that one because I cried. I cried during Charlotte's Web, so shut the fuck up. Four, he opens doors for women at work, but they're metaphorically doors, like the ones that lead to promotion. Five, he laughs calmly when he called. he's called a cuck. He laughs loudly when women are funny. He does not laugh when men are not. Six, he makes references to Kurt Vonnegut. Seven, he strictly follows all traffic laws when he plays Grand Theft Auto. Get the fuck out of here. Then sad news. As a follow-up to a post on Thursday in Dewanta Harris, a 16-year-old who allegedly ran over and killed a Baltimore cop with a stolen car while on house arrest for stealing a car, new documents have come to light that confirm that Harris' mother begged juvenile service to keep her son locked up. But the system let him out because it's prejudice and shit. Okay. Walmart shoppers witnessed a herring kidnapping, or so they thought, and it was a staged event to get on social media. Also on social media, video shows road rage suspect hitting man with a fucking sledgehammer. How far have you gotten off the path that somebody cuts you off and you take a fucking sledgehammer to them? Get the fuck out of here. In sex news, world record orgy location moved after Las Vegas Hotel pulls out. Like that heading? I do. As we're sitting here, at least Rob living under uh, tropical storm Alberto... New U.S. weather satellite can't keep cool, could hurt photos, and it's pretty scary. They shot up a Geo 17. There's something wrong with it, and it's taking blurry photos because it can't keep itself cool. Two, two gag rule. I put it in this section because Trump, well, I'll just read it. Hollywood is rallying for abortion industry once again. This time concerns taxpayer funding. On Tuesday night, President Trump announced a proposal at the Susan B. Anthony List Gala that would prohibit Title X federal funding from organizations to provide or promote abortion. The Hyde Amendment generally bars federal funding for abortion, but pro-life politicians note that money is fungible. The argument that Planned Parenthood offset costs public fee funds to free up other resources for abortion is a point made by pro-life groups. While abortion supporters referred to move as gag rule, the White House disagrees, according to the Washington Post. That's likely because, as Fox News reported, counseling on abortion is still permitted. But you don't have to force people. So 17. Jane Fonda. Pink. Jessica Biel. Tia Leone. Padma Lashinsky from Top Chef. Kate Walsh. Selena Levea. Bridget Moynihan. Melissa Gilbert. Tatiana Maslany. Zoe Lister-Jones. If you got a hyphen name, you're a douchebag. Allison Wright. Carrie O'Malley, Allie Walker, Liza Hindenstein, Geneva Hanielsen from The Roots. And they're going deep back for this one. And Sarah Wine Fear. 
all went crazy on Twitter because it can't give an inch on killing babies. And I just want to remind you, in the recent annual report, the organization performed 321,384 abortions and received $543.7 million from us while they did 776 morning-after pills. That's a million three, folks. That's a lot of babies. This week also, Ireland reinstated a vote to let it be okay to kill babies again. And Ian Milheiser, while the Irish vote looking like it's going to be a landslide for yes, it's really stunning how much of the outlier American red states are in the rest of the year. That was a talking point. And that's a false talking point. There's no red states that ban abortion. They ban abortions after it can no longer be a clump of cells, you fucking ghouls. But he's in the media, and nobody checked him on it. Nothing. And last but not least, the New York Times opinion, it will take more than sensitivity training sessions and the public shaming of racist, hyper-vigilant white women to dismantle today's system of segregation. A white woman responded, I'm not apologizing for actions I personally did not take, words I have not spoken, etc., etc., and I'm most certainly not going to take any type of sensitivity training. You, however, are free to go fuck yourself. Have a blessed day. The rant about the white women. Yeah. Two are lighter fare. Alright, gonna do two reviews today. First is Wild Wild Country. Netflix new sex cult series. And basically it is covering the Rajneesh Puram that took over Antelope, Oregon. And I live there, but to be quite honest, I don't remember any of this. And it was pretty fucking impressive. It's very long, it could have been cut down. But there's a lot of crazy in there and how it, how people could get that fucking insane. I don't know. Cause I don't know how you look at a person who walks around like they're praying and just looks at you when you cry, but that's what you see. I was going to do a re- review on Evil Genius. I did watch it. Um, on a whole, you know, it's okay, but it's, it's really long winded. But for those that don't, I uh, remember the pizza bomber. Um, and it's pretty twisted what they did to this poor guy, but I'm not going to review it. If you want to watch that, give it a show. But the one I will do is Narcos. And I tried to find a trailer for it. Uh, I couldn't find a decent one. It is amazing. The first two seasons is taking down Pablo Escobar. And then they go after the Cali cartel. And I will tell you, 
This one is a must watch. Um, no spoilers. Everybody knows that eventually he got killed. And the trek to get there, the violence. This is The Sopranos in Spanish. Now, it's all in Spanish and English. You gotta do a lot of reading. I don't wear my glasses. And it's 30 episodes. But we were glued to it. So if you've not given Narcos, there will be a fourth season coming up. It's gonna be the Mexican cartels from the 70s. And then they're gonna come to modern day. Uh, probably cover MS-13. I mean, this is a great series. And it's, it is, it's way more violent than The Sopranos. Um, there's a lot of blood and gore. So if you're not into that, don't watch it. But it's literally a must-see. I've ignored it forever. Um, you know, it came out, I think, our first year on Netflix, and I blew it off. But the damn thing, just watch it. It is fabulous. I was going to cover Memorial Day. You know, we usually do how it came. About, everybody knows it was Decoration Day back in Civil War. But I was struck by how crazy things have been this year. And I'm just going to read one example. Real Simple Magazine Facebook page. Six to die for summer sandals on major sale for Memorial Day weekend. Fred Wellman, possibly the most tone-deaf Memorial Day post I've ever seen. This is why the ridiculous low number of veterans or military family in the PR and marketing field is so painfully obvious. This is why you need someone like Scout Comms on your agency team. Our clients don't do this. And I've been seeing a lot of that. It seems like it's just one long fucking sale. But I want to cover the deaths. Operation Enduring Free and this campaign include casualties that occurred between October 7th, 2001 and December 31st. The DOD reports 2,346 deaths and four civilians with a total of 20,095 injured. Freedom Sentinel, 49 deaths. Iraqi Freedom, 4,424 deaths. 31,957 casualties. New Dawn, 73 deaths, 295 casualties. Operation Inherent Resolve, 62 deaths, 64 wounded, and previous 382 in the civil, or in the, um, first Gulf, Vietnam, 47, 413. World War II, 291,557 deaths and 671,846 wounded. So that's what the day was about. It's not a Veterans Day. You don't say, hey, thanks for your service. People do it. I'm not saying it's wrong. But it should be a day we remember those people, even if you don't like them. But I saw sales. I got so many emails, I started disenrolling. I I couldn't take it anymore. And what did the left do? This is what they did. Dean Obadala. This Memorial Day weekend, let's honor the women and men who bravely sacrificed their lives fighting to protect our nation's freedoms by resisting Trump's attack on our democracy. The resistance is the highest form of patriotism. Replies. 
when you put yourself in dungeon Twitter political movement on the same level as those that gave the ultimate sacrifice for the country, you get the left. Another. My father and his father are buried at Fort Sam. When my other grandfather passed, he'll be buried in Arlington. They were braved. They sacrificed. They fought. People like you have done nothing. This is stolen valor. Another man said the same. His name was still a curmudgeon or Bill Presson. Dean Obadiah responded back with, Are you wearing a Nazi outfit? That's what he said. Because they have Nazi on their brain. Anybody who can support Trump, you got to be a Nazi. You're an American. Because they are the arbiters of what America is. And he responded, it's my father, not me. He was a captain of the U.S. Army. He was killed in Vietnam. You're embarrassing yourself. It was his father in a uniform. J.R. Saltzman had a worse one. But hey, thanks for shitting all over a holiday designed to honor the fallen. Seems like only yesterday the left was marching in their little anti-war protests under Bush calling service member baby killers. But we're resisting. Really? So you're not going to pay your taxes? You're going to move to Canada? You're going to give up your citizenship? Of course not. You're not going to do shit. You're going to whine and complain and scream scandal and corruption in Russia, and that's it. But thanks again for shitting on Memorial Day. I didn't see a lot of lefties talking about Memorial Day. And it saddens me. Because... Unbeknownst to you Trump-hating resistance members, there's a lot of Democrats that died too, folks. You know, the Democrats served at one time in this country. Now, since Bush, it's baby killers, mercenaries, unskilled, low, low-skilled fucking serfs. But I was surprised to find ESPN, for one brief minute, did the right thing. This is Essie Featured. This is the power of sports. My name is Alejandro Villanueva. I play left tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But before I was in the NFL, I was a soldier. The United States Army. Memorial Day means different things to different people. For those of us served, that meaning is pretty obvious. You remember those who were lost, who made the ultimate sacrifice. I come here, remind myself that I'm one of the lucky ones. Serving my country was the greatest honor of my life. But not everyone gets to come home to their family and loved ones like I did. More than 1.1 million American servicemen and women didn't get to do that. To me, Memorial Day is about all of them. The holiday originated in 1868 when families decorated graves to honor the fallen soldiers of the Civil War. A tradition started to bring healing to a nation. After World War I, the day became about honoring all Americans lost in war. 
and in 1971, government created the holiday we know today, the last Monday in May. Today, Deckard Graves is not the first thing that comes to mind when people think of Memorial Day. It's about sharing moments of happiness with the people that we love the most. Our focus is often on what we have and not on what we've lost. I suppose it's human nature. We want to celebrate life, reflect on death. And on this day, that's possible because of all those who made the ultimate sacrifice. I could tell you a lot of things about my time in the service, what I saw, what I learned, but I think on Memorial Day, the most important thing I can tell you is the story of a soldier I'll never forget. A young man, a kid really, named Jesse Dietrich. Jesse was from a small town just outside of Fort Worth, Texas. He enlisted in the Army when he was 18 to support his infant son. We served together in 1st Platoon, Alpha Company, 287, the legendary 10th Mountain Division. On the day of August 25, 2011, we worked to interdict some members of the Taliban. We were ambushed. He didn't make it. He was 20 years old. And he left behind a two-year-old son named Kevin. So if you do one thing this Memorial Day, Think about those who sacrificed. Think of the 1.1 million and their families. And think about my friend Jesse, who is buried on the plains of Texas under an oak tree older than the holiday itself. And for the grave that's being decorated today by the son who never got to know his dad. touched by that but that's because he's a veteran so they got their one in while the rest of the time they're uber liberal so that wraps up another episode of flower politic podcast please feel free to share this with your family and friends and send comments by email and f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com fop podcast gmail Dot com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at FOPPODCAST.com, FOPPodcast.com. It's a theme to see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll see an episode, every episode on the episode release page, and you'll see my blog, which I never fucking do, and I'm a horrible, horrible human being. Our next podcast will be four june already year of our lord 2018 i hope you all enjoy your week be safe out there with the storms if you're in the tunnel coming up from the gulf right now uh you know tornado 
downpours, flooding. Just be safe. That terrible Maryland town, that, that was pretty, pretty scary stuff. Make sure you give your, your full attention to your families. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes, cause it's a short ride. Gotta make everyone count. As always, I thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Yeah.